Ja, hallo und herzlich willkommen Welcome bei to another session of the Corona Committee. Session number 112, we called it the disgrace. And uh, that's what I thought when I heard about Leipzig, about this unfavorable ruling of the court there. And we have more disgraces that we'll have to look at, amongst others, the situation in Holland. We have guests. Rainer is not with us today. He's only here in the Zoom. He had a certain complication to deal with, and this is why he couldn't be here in person. Uh, but later on, another guest will join us. Rainer, welcome you. Yeah, hi, Viviane. Yes, it is quite a disgrace, in fact, because this verdict that you just mentioned should um, be the very first one in German history of law, international history of law, which has been taken note of, but it didn't become that. Uh, now they will take note of it on an international level, but as the way that the rule of law has been buried. It was killed uh, when you did not have a single reaction from the chamber of lawyers, from the justice, from the, the uh, judges. Um, the office was uh, searched about a little bit more than a year ago, but the burial, in fact, took place yesterday because there were some people that still had a little bit of hope that German justice isn't quite dead yet, but it has, in fact, been a circus. It was a pre-arranged game, and before we get into the nitty-gritty later, I can only tell you uh, none of the uh, lawyers involved were to be blamed, uh, Wilfried and the others, they did a fine job, they were working hard. Responsible parties are the judges and they will be held accountable at one point. It's a very extreme story to um, come up with one or the other point now that may have been mentioned. As you said, everybody did a good job and did a good presentation and it went well uh, in all the proceedings, according to my assessment. We'll get more information about that later. Um, there's so many facts that have been presented to the court um, that they should have looked at it or in some way um, accepted it for their verdict. They said, okay, thank you very much for telling us and we're going to side differently. And that shows very clearly that even a better presentation and maybe another thousand pages, uh, you couldn't have changed the matter. That's, of course, uh, an opinion that this is a political motivated um, verdict. If it had been decided based on the evidence, then a box of Pandora would have opened for the government. And so I think that everybody um, ducked away. And uh, maybe there have been some awards or rewards, whatever, we don't know. Well, anyway, today we have guests from Holland with us, um, Jan Bolz and uh, Martin Engel. Um, they are here and that uh, falls in nicely with that uh, ruling in Leipzig um, that um, there was a great uh, public awareness of the court proceedings and uh, the uh, court looked at all of it and uh, then they simply showed our middle their middle finger to us. It's more comfortable with English, at least for answering, I believe. So I would Absolutely. like to, so, to so I understood greet you. Uh, the, the the discussion about uh, 
the, the verdict in Germany. And it's very similar to what is happening in Holland. Uh, Reiner mentioned like uh, for the people that had uh, just a grain of, uh, of confidence in the, in the court systems in, in Germany or Holland that must have dissipated now because we see their completely political tools to a certain agenda and everything that comes in the way of the agenda has to go and they will even sacrifice any credibility they have in order to maintain that, uh, that goal. Um, now, of course, we're going to talk mainly about the farmer uprising, but it has to be seen in that broader political landscape of Agenda 2030, because we are talking about uh, a new society uh, and, uh, and a new economy. Klaus Schwab has, uh, has mentioned that a lot with the narrow window of opportunity, and we are now in the effects of the Great Reset. Now, recently, what has happened and this is called the, the nitrogen crisis. There's not a, a short of supply of nitrogen. No, it's the opposite. There is a, a fictive crisis that is purely political because we have uh, dubbed a lot of areas uh, Natura 2000 reserves. So they have to be maintained with the poor soil they have. So to, to, to make it uh, clear, we have a lot of areas in Holland it's called hay or Haydn, uh, which is typically on poor soil and they have to be maintained. So if they are in the area of a farming company which uses fertilizer or even uh, synthetic fertilizer, it might enrich the soil and we, uh, we lose that kind of, uh, of habitat. So there's no lives lost. It's just that some politicians want to have uh, different landscapes in Holland. And specifically what happened in 2019 is that the judges, again, being activists for the, uh, for the 2030 agenda, have ruled that the compensation of this nitrogen was illegitimate. So the farmers had to push harder to reduce the emission of the, of the ammonia that they have from, from their uh, uh, cattle ranching. Um, and the new plan was presented just a few weeks ago where they went even further than that, that within a year they have to reduce their emissions sometimes with 80 to 90%. And that means a death sentence for these farmers. So we prepared some slides and we also have some movie clips of what, uh, what uh, perspired. Now, rightfully so, these farmers uh, wouldn't have it and started uh, protests and they have tried to to get this on the political agenda before because this is a crisis uh, since 2019 um, so right now they have had it completely and they started blocking roads but also started blocking distribution centers uh, and even the media park which we will get to and of course that is an effective protest so it cannot be ignored because the politicians uh, were completely ignoring them. Now, what is very typical in this crisis is that instead of listening and discussing things together, which Holland is famous for, eh, the, the polder model, we see militarized police trying to curb the, the, the uprising and, and to uh, hit it with blunt force. However, it was so massive that the police couldn't be at all the, the, the points at the same time. And there was a lot of uh, ordinary citizens, so people that do not have a farm, 
uh, uh, also <coughs> protesting in favor of these farmers. So there was a lot of public support. Now, this is a very important one because this shows where you can hit the regime. This is the media park, uh, the Dutch Hollywood, so to say. So all the state propaganda is made in this media park. And you see that there's some trunks of trees uh, blocking the roads. And it's more symbolic because, of course, people can still get there and broadcast. So the broadcasting still went on. But it's, it is showing that we know what you're up to and we want you to stop uh, with this propagandizing of these political talking points. Uh, here you see NOS is fake news. It has become a slogan of all the protests that are against this regime. Now, it is not only the, the farmers that are bearing the brunt. Uh, it is uh, much wider. The, this nitrogen crisis is being used or misused to try to hit certain areas of autonomy. So the farmers have to go, but also the fisher then have to go. And you could ask like, but what this, does this have to do with the emission of nitrogen? It doesn't matter because they say so, it is combined. So also the fishermen are blocking the harbors and blocking uh, the, the, the waterways. And you see that this is a very massive protest uh, carried out by a, a large part of society. Here you see the distribution centers of Jumbo. It's a, it's a supermarket chain, uh, which is uh, giving unfavorable prices to the farmers. Um, but I think the main point here is to show the, the, the normal uh, population, like food is not produced in a factory. It is not coming from the supermarket. It is coming from the fields that the farmers are working on. And that, that um, overreaction is very typical. Here we see the, the typical blue tanks, the, the military police. So they uh, employed uh, military force, something that we saw also with, uh, with some other riots or uprisings. And in that sense, it's very similar to the, the trucker protest that happened in Canada, where you see this massive uprising that has a enormous support from the population that the, the, the dictators that are in power really uh, know only one way, and that is the way of power instead of negotiation. So they say they want to negotiate, but only to uh, take off the pressure. They do not want to surrender any of those political goals. Um, they also announced, and then I'm talking about the farmers, uh, that they wanted to block the main airport. And this was uh, a wonderful practical joke. So we had a lot of army personnel protecting our airport, and then the farmers did not come. <laughs> so that, that is uh, a sense of humor, I think. Now, to really emphasize that we're talking about a hoax is that this is an article from 2017. And it stipulates that the Dutch farmers have the lowest environmental impact and are the most sustainable farmers in the world. So this was a, just a few years before they uh, exclaimed uh, the crisis. And this is something that we constantly see. So there are some little um, phenomena happening, and I suspect these are false flags. We see that there's a lot of undercover police involved in these actions and then they start to finger point and to call names um announcing that they will use more force if they if the 
farmer protests do not stop. And these are, are uh, not houses that are burning. These are just piles of wood next to the highway. So there's, there's no harm done here. Also, the trying to make it a moral discussion, uh, blaming the farmers for destroying a nature reserve. And this is really the, 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 uh, the, the tip of hypocrisy. This was just a, a plain grass field where the trucks or the tractors were driving through and suddenly everybody is, uh, is going uh, into the curtain because uh, of the farmers not managing nature well enough. Uh, completely ignoring the enormous burden that we have posed upon uh, environment with all the plastic of the tests, of the face masks, of, the, of all the, the, the craziness of the COVID crisis. Now, this is another part is that The media is trying to combine the group that has already had a negative name because of the corona demonstrations, which were always, when there was violence, it was incited by these police provocateurs, these undercover uh, cops. Um, and what they've tried here is to put the farmers in the same, in the same bin, so to say, to, to try to demonize them. And then this happened two days ago, and this really changed the whole dynamics of the protest. Uh, the police came, became trigger happy. And unfortunately, this is the fifth shooting accident that happens with the trigger happy police. And this is very uncommon for Holland. This, uh, this has really happened because of the corona pandemic and the, the, the leniency they get from the public prosecuting office. So the public prosecuting office, uh, they tell the police what kind of violence can be used and in which circumstances. So when police officers and not only one, but multiple start shooting, this is mandated by our public prosecuting office. Now, one really took it too far and he shot at a truck that was being uh, driven by a 16 year old boy. And he was not driving into the police officers. No, he was driving away from it. So this was an attempt to, to kill. And first the police tried to cover it up they arrested this driver of 16 years old, he's still a minor, uh, and wanted to sue him for manslaughter or attempt for manslaughter. Now, luckily there were a lot of people around that filmed the whole ordeal, and then they had to walk back the story. Eventually they had to release him, but only because we had a massive protest, not only the, the, the farmers now, but uh, the whole population, going to this uh, local uh, city center and uh, demanding the release of the farmers that were arrested uh, on illegal grounds. And then uh, because of this public pressure becoming too big, they released them, but they also dropped the charges of manslaughter. Uh, however, the shooter is still at large, so he has not been apprehended by the police. And I'm talking about the police officer himself that was uh, shooting at an unarmed driving away minor. And then to go into detail, the science, or I could, I could, I should say, the unscience of it all. So this is niet alles kan overal. It means uh, not everything can be done everywhere, which is a, a platitude, of course. But this political pamphlet wants to put the blame on the farmers and on the civilians. Now, what we see here is the, the Nature 2000 uh, areas and. These areas are up for uh, uh, disowning these farms. 
uh, trying to confiscate uh, the, the land. And we will get to that because that is the real political reason behind it. Now, if you look at this map, it looks very differently. So the uh, emission of nitrous oxide, you could see here Schiphol, the harbor of Rotterdam, the harbor of uh, Antwerp, and uh, the Hoer uh, industrial area. So it has actually nothing to do with farmers, if you measure it. But then we come to, is it the problem? It's not even a real problem. Uh, these are the industries that have the biggest emission, but these are not the industries targeted by these, uh, by these new policies. Uh, the, the people that are targeted are the farmers, first and foremost, uh, independent companies, and eventually also uh, the, the citizen. And this is a schematic, and already you see that there is a lot of politics here. It's uh, agriculture here, so they are held accountable for the ammonia emission. And why I like this picture so much, because it makes it very clear. And then I want to make a, a, um, a similarity or, uh, or something that is very similar to what happened in the COVID crisis. You know, in the COVID crisis, we're talking about the asymptomatic infectiveness. <laughs> As if people who do not have any symptoms could even uh, spread the disease or transmit the disease. Now, what's happening here? Of course, when you put something in the atmosphere, it dissolves, it, it reacts chemically, uh, and it is precipitated back in the form of rain, and it gets into the soil. So that is that is something that is happening. But here you see droog, and I think it's the same in, uh, in German, and the dry deposition, that is something that is not really happening, or uh, at least not to the extent they are claiming to. Um, ammonia or nitrous oxide doesn't just drop down to the floor and there's very few plants that can, can have an uptake via the leaves. It normally is the nitrogen cycle is through the soil. And then we look at the data and also the data is very crappy. There's only three points where they're measuring these air columns. And the whole idea is then if we move it a few meters further and we see a decrease in concentration, and we don't see any precipitation, it must be dry deposition. So it's very indirect with a lot of assumptions. And then it brings us to the models. In COVID, we know these models are very erroneous. They have never, ever come to fruition. They have always been 100% off targets. And that is because they work all in the same fashion. This is beleid, it means policy. So this model is not developed to do science now this model is to do is developed to how to get from science to policy and of course in in reality it's the other way around you start with the policy and then you make up the science to try to sell the policy and this goes to the real issue being there is no issue in the last 30 years there has been an enormous decrease in emission of uh, nitrogen in uh, in these forms of nitrous oxide and ammonia, uh, I think we reduce it two thirds, and suddenly there is a crisis, and that brings us to the next part. So Flevoland, that is the the middle part of of Holland. These are the polders, and actually the government admits uh, we do not only want to reduce the, the the nitrogen emission, but we want to confiscate the farms. And here it comes to have shelters for asylum seekers. Oh my God. So this is the real reason. And uh, Germany in that sense is, is involved. This is called the tri-state uh, city cluster. 
This is part of Agenda 2030. And then if you look at where the lines are and what has to be disowned, this is where they misuse the whole nitrogen crisis for, because they want to make a ring city, including the Hoer area, uh, Flanders, uh, the industrial area, uh, the harbors and the central ring city in Holland. Uh, this, is, this will be the, the, the beating heart of Europe under Agenda 2030. So this is the real reason, and it will be populated not by our own population, because most of the people are getting infertile through the injections. So we have to import them via Ukraine, but not exclusively Ukrainians, but they come from all over the world. So that is in a nutshell what has happened in Holland and, and the background of the whole farmer uprising and why everything is connected. So why we should be in support of this farmer uprising. And so maybe this is a good time to, to show the, the, the little videos and people can have a better image of what, what uh, transpired the last few days. Hey, wapens, jongen, wapens. Hey, Wolla, rij weg, jongen, rij weg. Wapens is daar. Hey, hey, wapens, jongen, wapens. Hey, Wolla, rij weg, jongen, rij weg. Wapens is daar. Onze boeren en onze strijders op om achter elkaar naar Leeuwarden te gaan. Om te zorgen dat die jongen bevrijd wordt. Onze steun te betuigen daar aan een nette demonstratie te houden. Maar wel dat duidelijk wordt dat die jongen absoluut meteen naar huis toe moet. Want die zit onschuldig vast. Dat is het. Ja, het is veel dat ze schieten.
Yeah, so they were a bit in a, in a random order, but what you could clearly see that the protest is quite massive and that people are not having it and that multiple police officers pulled their gun, uh, multiple shots were fired and one has actually tried to uh, uh, hit this this uh, 16 year old driver so this is not an incident of one cop being uh, uh, overworked this is trying to intimidate the population and really taking it to the extreme where people could uh, could die uh, and i think this is a, a warning to to governments that uh, violence will not help them actually it's uh, it's uh, hardens and, and, and makes uh, it, uh, the resistance more convicted in, uh, in a sense that uh, we will not surrender. Um, and the beauty of everything is that the farmers did not take the bait. Nobody went overboard. There were no violent outcries. Uh, it was very peaceful uh, and it made it very clear that there is only one wrong side here and that is the regime. Yeah. Well, that's crazy. I mean, this is quite intense. Um, can I ask you, so is the, is the protests, are they growing or the same or is it kind of dying down? What is, what is your... So what we see is that there's a lot of actions against these individual groups that, that uh, block a road or a, or a distribution center. So I think most of them have been arrested at, the, at this time, but it is brewing. There's a, there's a lot of uh, people that are very angry, um, are Parliament is now into recess. They refuse to have a debate on this subject. Uh, they even threw a parliamentarian out of Congress. So we, we are now in full di dictatorship. We saw a clip on uh, on Sky News Australia, but they didn't even include the, the harshest measures. So the shooting at unarmed civilians and the silencing of members of parliament that were critical about what, is, what was happening, uh, they were thrown out of parliament. They were they could not speak further only because they said this is a scary situation. They were not allowed to use the word scary. How do the mainstream media uh, report on this? So, of course, uh, as they are a good lap dog of the regime, they first start with the propaganda. But as more and more independent video material services, they cannot hold that line. They have to admit that this this uh, police officer went over the over over the line um, so they had to release all the prisoners um, yet we don't see a real shift in the mainstream media because they should be hypercritical about the regime and talk about that uh, it is a regime and that uh, uh, our land is not ours anymore mm -hmm. uh, yet they they still try to be somewhat in the middle even with this uh, mounting evidence? I think it becomes more and more evident, uh, even to those who may have been in line with the government up until now, that this government is not your government. This is, exactly. th these are the puppets of the, of the World Economic Forum. It's so obvious. And they're using the police, they're using the police forces, the militarized, it was very obvious, the militarized police forces to uh, subdue the population, to threaten them, to even shoot at them, at unarmed people. This is so incredible. I think this is, of course, this is being done on purpose. The, the big question is, which way will it tilt when the tipping point is reached? 
And as we said before we went live, I think the tipping point is coming ever closer. And if uh, the uh, politicians stay the course, and on the other hand, the farmers stay the course and do not resort to violence, I think the people, didn't you say that 80%, 70 or 80% of the people uh, support the protests? Yes. So if that's gonna continue like this, I think the people, uh, they, they have misjudged the people. The people will win this arm wrestling match, but it is important to stay peaceful and to only go after those who are really uh, becoming violent, like police, I just couldn't believe what I saw there. Police officers pointing guns at people who are unarmed, who are not doing anything. Oh man. Yeah, and this is not an incident. This this happens quite often now. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're, we are sliding into a, a dictatorship. I don't think that's an exaggeration uh, mm -hmm. to put it that way. Like I have multiple criminal charges against me. I've spent almost three weeks in jail. We've talked about it before. Uh, they're still continuing these cases. They're still trying to criminalize people who speak out. Uh, recently, a few days ago, uh, a doctor was arrested because he called out these secret or these undercover police agents that are starting riots. <coughs> so instead of them arresting these rioters, they arrested this, this doctor. He's a neurosurgeon. And um, after a few days, I think also because of the public pressure, they had to release him again. But they don't give up. Uh, so we, we can't give up. We have to keep pushing back, uh, always peacefully, but with, with great conviction. Can I ask you, uh, like something with regards to this land grab that seems to be that's the, that seems to be their plan. So, like um, with regards to the farmers, they would, uh, in case they have all these emissions or like it's claimed they have these emissions, that they would basically say you cannot use the land anymore. I mean, you cannot use these uh, this nitrogen on the um, on the farm. That mean that means they go out of business. Is that the point? And then they come and buy it cheaply, or how is that supposed to go? Yes, but it goes a step further because there was a there was a farmer who said, "Okay, you know what? You compensate me for my livestock. I get rid of my livestock and I keep the land." And they didn't want that deal. They said, "No, no, 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 no. We need the land." So it it is a bullshit story. They 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 are not really interested in reducing the emission of nitrogen. They are interested in confiscating the land and pushing these farmers out of business. That is the real wow. that's the real objective here. And this this thing that you that you showed us this um, tri-state what did you call this, this uh, tri-state city. city cluster? Yes. I mean, that is outrageous. Is this like an official paper? Yes, yes, they, they, they market this. Uh, it's in the papers of the World Economic Forum and, uh, and other organizations uh, closely linked to the World Economic Forum. So this makes me think of this uh, this the wildland project in America, where I, that's I think it it was like an idea like uh, uh, worked on in 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 co uh, combination or in collaboration with the United Nations, and it was the idea that you basically um, um, get people off the land almost everywhere in, in the U.S. So the old uh, ways for the wandering. Uh, buffaloes uh, would be open back up again to them so it's like basically like nature like everywhere taken over and people are then uh, cramped into like five major cities like i think it was chicago new york and like a few few places but basically also california so um reiner your 
ranch would be confiscated <laughs> at some point and you can then like maybe go there every now and then and see you the buffaloes uh, yeah, you know hanging out in your to, ranch i think we have to be very aware this is not really about nature preservation no, no, this is about not. grabbing land so they control the land they control the food and they make the population very dependent on the government because that is what big government wants to have a lot of uh, minions that do as they say and they want to and they want to drive people off their land and grab their land so that they can cram them into the cities yeah. where they're so much easier to control and Absolutely. to poison of course yeah mm -hmm. that's very obvious well the major difference between my ranch in california and uh farms in europe uh is those california ranchers are all armed so no one's going to tell them wear a mask or get off your land if they do that they're going to have to run very 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 fast absolutely and this is why the second amendment is so important in the united yes. states before this crisis i was anti-gun and i didn't understand the fetish a lot of americans have because also a few friends of mine who are lefties in in the united states carry guns and i was like that does not compute <laughs> uh, but now we realize what it means to have an overarching government and that the only defense against tyranny is when the people stand together and being able to defend themselves yeah this has to be pointed out over and over again the only reason why the second amendment um, was introduced to the as an amendment to the American Constitution is because most Americans fled from their own governments in um, in the UK or uh, England, for example. They had to fight their own governments, and for that reason only, they decided to include the Second Amendment. Should this ever come back to haunt them? their own government fighting or going after the people it's not their own government we know that but should this ever happen again these people are ready to fight them and many of them are well trained because many americans have gone to war so this is something that cannot be over uh, underestimated um, and as we've seen unlike here in europe where we have three PCR test decisions which were completely ignored by the respective governments, by those WEF governments, Portugal, uh, Austria, and of course the worst case happened here in Germany. But then there's another case in um, another court decision in Turkey. But those governments completely ignored the rulings of these judges. This did not happen in the United States when on um, April the 18th, a federal court in uh, Florida decided that the government does not have the authority to issue mass mandates on planes and trains, it was immediately stopped. And everyone remembers the videos of people dancing and uh, clapping on the, on the uh, planes, even the pilots and uh, the flight attendants joining in. So you could immediately, and that is probably the worst thing that could have happened, because it shows what the real sentiment of the general public really is. 90% of the public in the United States was celebrating this and they're not wearing masks anymore. Maybe many of them have in the meantime gotten the shots, but you can see from that reaction, you can see very vividly how it is not possible in the United States to uh, subdue the people and- um, well, And to ignore the courts. And I think that is a big, difference between European courts 
and the United States courts. There's much more independence with these judges in the United States. In Holland, there is zero independence. We are now getting to a point where our cases are thrown out without a verdict. They say, oh, it's inadmissible because the last, uh, the last uh, uh, verdict, you were admissible. Therefore, now you are inadmissible. It doesn't make any sense anymore. They're not even trying. Yeah. So I think the, the, the court case in Uruguay, if people haven't taken notice, that is a very important one because that's a very brave judge who yeah. told Pfizer, hand over the papers. You have 48 hours. If you do not, then we stop the, the, the vaccinations. And he did on the basis of contempt of court. Now in Pfizer, uh, be not, uh, below 13, people cannot be injected in, in Uruguay with Pfizer anymore. Yeah, that's a very important ruling and it shows, I think it is a representative of what's going on, on in Latin America, because as we've all seen, even though Bolsonaro is under a lot of pressure uh, and he probably cannot quite speak as frankly as he wishes he could, but he, it, he threatens to pull out of the World Health Organization, which as we know, uh, as we know now is another completely privately owned organization that is being used in order to subdue the people. Absolutely. Or you remember the, um, uh, the, the, the people in Ecuador, uh, there was also a ruling by an Ecuadorian court that I forget what it was, but it was anti these uh, slave makers, I, I guess you can call them now. Yeah, and it looks like certain areas are breaking off uh, Latin America, the, the southern states. Uh, so we will be left with uh, um, with a self-inflicted wound. Europe is yeah. destroying itself yeah. and probably taking Oceania with us. But what I see now with the BRICS countries, uh, part of Asia, the whole of Africa, they're not following anymore. <laughs> they, they, they see the abyss and they're saying, well, goodbye, have fun. Yeah. Okay, well, we're hoping that this is going to turn in the right direction. It, it looks as though it is, and we're definitely, now that we know what's going on, we're definitely going to support everything you do there, everything. Great. Thanks for the, for the interview. Is there anything you would like to add? Um, no, I think Moses uh, said. Um, only if, um, short uh, note I want to make is, um, uh, you spoke about uh, the ruling from the court uh, in um, Leipzig. Mm -hmm. and, um, we had the same uh, kind of verdict uh, with our court case of, against the so-called vaccinations. Um, this was another level of, um, yeah, uh, how do you betrayal. say? Yeah, court betrayal, because uh, they decided this was too dangerous to go into any detail so they decided just to uh, to throw it off the table without any arguments uh, so this is really um, yeah a, a new uh, thief punct uh, yeah and and the confiscating of lands this is something that is now happening in holland but it is going to happen in in many more places absolutely and here uh, i know that you understand german very well we have a short video clip that i want to show you because this is the next step it's happening in germany already we have this clip of um uh, a german politician of obviously from the green party who are now the chief not just the chief warmongers but also those <laughs> who are stealing 
who are trying to steal the German taxpayers' money by paying for everyone who wants to come into the country. Let's uh, play this clip because this is shows where we're headed. Anna, you know that this guy was working in my office. Who? The guy who is speaking now, who will speak now. Oh my God. He was, he was working in my office for three years. Oh my he was God. already a member of the Green Party, but he, he worked with me and he was quite different in that time. Well, maybe he got the shots and that, as we now know, causes personality changes as well. But he does look like he's a very stupid person. He can hardly talk. But let's listen to him. Which has never been done in Germany before. We allow millions of people, when they come to Germany, the opportunity to get straight into our benefit systems. That's a long, big difference to what we've seen before, directly into our social benefit systems. Directly into our social benefit systems. That means that Ukrainians who come to Germany get immediately 449 euros per month, plus uh, any any costs of housing, and that is easily a thousand euros a month. Let's compare that to what a senior citizen gets in Germany who is retired. Uh, on average, he gets 989 euros, and mothers who have uh, uh, brought three children to this world is only 750 euros. And that is the real scandal, that somebody who has never paid one cent into our social system gets more money from the state than somebody who's been working all his life, who has built the country and who has raised children. But not only that, with the second ruling, the possibility of sanctions for people who violate the rules have been disabled. So even if they are being offered a job, the Ukrainians say, no, thank you, I don't want to, without any discounts in what they get. What does that mean? That means that people from Ukraine get a thousand euros every month. So then there is something really special from the left green government. From now on, they just pay for any kind of rent, 2,500 euros a month for, in the, for an apartment in Berlin, no problem. We pay for it. And by the way, uh, people who receive that, they don't pay for kindergarten, they don't pay anything into the social welfare system. And uh, even when the kids go on field trips, all of that is being paid for. But uh, the regular people, they pay for uh, the TV, they pay for everything and of course they also pay for what these people from the ukraine get so we're planning on uh, getting 746,000 people from the ukraine getting every month so uh, now they are saying that the people who work uh, they will only get their pension paid when they're at least 70 years old to keep one thing in mind though uh, their plan is to divide and conquer. That's why they're pushing all these people, all these immigrants into our countries. So what we really need to do is to join forces with them. We have to make them understand that someone else is pulling their strings. Someone else is pushing them into our countries in order to cause unrest. And once people understand this, once the people understand that there's someone else pulling our strings, or these people's strings are politicians' strings, it's going to be a whole different ballgame, I think. Well, es ist unheimlich, ich finde es unheimlich wichtig, dass man wahrnimmt, dass hier wirklich die Bevölkerung polarisiert wird. Das, yeah. was Sie eben gehört haben, 
this is just heard is exactly you know what the people from the right uh, uh, thrive on uh, AFD and other parties you know they 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 use that story against refugees and they use that uh, to divide the population and to make sure that the population is divided in itself it's normal that you that you that you help refugees but that you do it in such a way now uh, that we have uh, unrest in the population. And if you show a film like what you've just shown, you know, that sounds like a Nazi movie now. And I think that, of course, is something that they wanted. That's a strategy. I think we have to mention this so that we don't fall into into this trap and that we're not part of that activity of polarization because of course there is uh, injustice but it looks like they are creating this injustice in order to uh, strengthen the polarization that's surely right and it's very extreme it's very extreme it's like if you uh, this is nothing comparable and no way to explain this why to do it that way of course if people of course, it's obvious that you help, but that they get so much more um, with that big luxury apartments. Why? That's craziness. Uh, so that can only be explained by uh, a, a play of cards trick uh, that uh, the people get provoked. Yeah, well, that's exactly what they're doing. I mean, they want the population to to uh, be completely divided, to be focused on that. And uh, what they're doing, of course, uh, that, that they're treating people differently, uh, that uh, this goes against the, the, the feeling of justice of the population at large. Uh, that, of course, causes unrest. And, and apparently they do that on purpose, divide and conquer. I mean, that's what they have in mind, and that's what they want. Uh, they want to rule. Yeah, this, this reminds me yeah, of Stalin. He was the champion of uh, of uh, redistributing uh, people groups, and especially <laughs> you see his heritage in Central Asia. All these republics have minorities of each other, and that's how the Soviet, uh, the Soviet party kept uh, them in place and kept power. And, yes. and, and this divide and conquer that uh, Wolfgang was uh, mentioning, uh, has already been done, especially in Germany, 2015, with the Syrian refugees. Exactly. Now they're doing it again. So yeah. we know the tricks and we have to prepare. And I think it's a very good point that Wolfgang was making, that it is not the fault or, or the, the people that are coming in are not the guilty ones. No, we have one problem, and that's the regime. That's it. They are doing this. It's, it's, it's not that we have to be against the people that are coming in. Yes. Even though they will use uh, resources that makes uh, other things scarce, the the enemy is the people who organize this. Well, it's obvious that those who are organizing this are not the ones who are going to suffer, because as we know from a very recent interview of what's his name, Habeck, the guy who is the secretary of uh, for economics here in this country. Uh, he makes 25,000 euros a month. So he couldn't care less. And he actually said so. He said, I make so much money, I can't even spend it. So he who makes such rules, who is, he is a member of the Green Party, who is responsible for this, makes us pay for it. But you're right. The real target is the people. It is the, the, the real target is divide and conquer. 
That's why we have to talk about it. And that's why we have to be very, very careful not to fall into the trap of uh, beating up these people, of uh, persecuting them. But we'll have to find another way. But the problem is I can't think of one. I can't think of one. We can only stop these politicians. So what I think uh, there's two things we have to do is to resist. And that is coming together. What Wolfgang already said together also with with the new people trying to resist this regime and then a second one and that is more of a, a war of attrition is that we start um, organizing these enclaves of autonomous people where we grow our own crops mm -hmm. uh, so the government has very little say over because that's that's the nucleus of the resistance if they cannot reach those points of uh, of resistance uh, then uh, they will lose the, the narrow window of opportunity that Klaus Schwab is talking about is their narrow window. It's not our narrow window. Yes. They are in yes. time constraints. Yes, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, Jerome. Uh, I'm sorry, Willem. Uh, we have to we have to make start. We must disassociate, disconnect from the system and set up our own system. Stop even paying taxes because yeah. we're going to have to be self-sufficient. And then everyone will see that they can play with themselves, but they have no one who's going to follow their orders anymore. That's the only way. I know, right. I know. they just, they just, I heard that they want to make, to, to count the chicken, to register the chicken of the people. Imagine this, have a big administration, giant computers, your chicken don't live so long, you know. And, uh, <laughs> And you know that you have this mass this mass uh, production of chickens, and I just imagine that they want to register each chicken. But if this is true, this shows how ridiculously they try to monopolize all food production, and they try. They are afraid of us that yes. we don't need them. And they have a very good reason to be afraid of us. That's why they're going to continue to push and push and push because if they stop we're gonna we're gonna get them they know it we're gonna have our own courts of law very soon it's happening already just imagine those those people in the administration who now get the task to re register each cattle each chicken each sheep eat everything we could eat uh, it they they will feel peculiar i think if you yeah, are yeah. such a clerk and get the order to, to count the chicken you must be uh, i'm serving for crazy <coughs> sorry <laughs> yeah, I, th I think there is, that's a third road of resistance. Uh, the clerks, the bureaucrats, but also the police officers, uh, the journalists that are uh, on the on the side of the regime. We have to reach their moral compass because, yeah. they, of course, they can uh, facilitate these misdeeds, but for how long? Yeah, and that's where we constantly have to try to invite them to uh, to have a debate. Mm -hmm. to to try to uh, let them explain their actions because they can't and and the more they have to do it the more they will uh, th they will disgust they will be disgusted by their own behavior and if they all stop then there's no hands to carry out the the dirty work anymore there are many who stop in a way that they just go to the doctor and say i'm ill i cannot suffer this anymore so i i cannot go to work anymore i'm getting crazy and you know the the number of people who are just going to the doctor getting a yellow paper this is why we call it in germany uh, that they that they cannot go to work because of some illness 
that is, is rising a lot. It's what yeah. the health insurances pay. And this is a way to retract from all those, from yeah. this. A very good way. Yeah, it's a very good. We are now at ten percent. I read 10% of the people are sick at home. Can you imagine? And this is they have real reason to get sick. They are sick. Yeah, exactly. Because you get crazy when you have to do such things. And there is such a big conflict that you have to be very, very stable or very stupid not to recognize and to and to stand all this. Yeah. That's maybe also related to vaccine injuries that they're at home. You know, maybe it's a combination. Who knows? Yeah, it's a combination. Or like it's two crowds. I think so. Yeah, and I think Bruce Lipton is a physician, but also a philosopher, and he talks about distress and eustress. And I, I would like to point that out because he's one of the few uh, medical experts that doesn't look at it at a, with a monofocus. It is not just the vaccines or the gene therapy. It's not just the lockdowns, it's not just the fear propaganda. It's all those things combined, yes. which elevate your sense of, of being off or being scared. And then your immune system stops. If that, if yeah. that carries on too long, your immune system starts to dysfunction. Okay, let's hear another shameful story from someone who suffered it. Um, thank you very much, Willem and Jerome. We'll be in touch, and you have all of our support, all of our support. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Take good care. Bye. Bye-bye. So, jetzt haben wir Herrn Kuken. Herr Kuken. Mr. Kuken is a general physician in Staufen in Breisgau, and his practice was searched in January 21 by police because um, there was the um, suspicion that he um, issued false mass certificates and uh, the court um, ruled um, that the paragraphs were ignored. He got fined an 80, 18,000 euro fine. Um, is that applicable, Mr. Kuken, or did you go, did you file application? Uh, we have, of course, appealed because naturally, I mean, this is completely ridiculous. Uh, well, most of it you already mentioned, but I can get back into it. Uh, Okay, good. Uh, I'll, I'll go for it. Um, we had this verdict in the first uh, court proceedings, as you've seen, in January 21. That was the first one of three searches that I had in my practice. And at the time, it was done with uh, six officers during working hours. And the uh, reasoning of the warrant was that 13 certificates had been issued without contact with the patients before. And uh, the director, directing officer, um, gave me the better explanation later on that one only had to look in the internet to look for my critical uh, articles on the corona crisis. And uh, the um, statement that I did that without the knowledge of the people um, was uh, shown false by hearing the witnesses and looking at my documentation so that the proceedings, as I heard from the police, had to be put down. But then a, a concerned teacher 
um, detected me and uh, said that some of the, chil the children are not uh, sick, and that is why the prosecution started it all up, hoping for a good uh, approach, and then I was warranted again. And the reasoning, or the main reasoning for this was that in this uh, certifications, you were aware that you had none of your patients where you saw sufficiently physical or psychological uh, diseases that would reason the exemption of the mask mandates in any way. And that is a complicated phrase. However, I think the major message comes across. And according to our assessment, that is, of course, completely groundless because in the corona regulation, there is no talk about diseases but uh, health reasons. And uh, the regulator by now has, until now, has not defined that in any way. Uh, what would justify an exemption from the mass mandate, and there was no uh, guideline given either. So in the sense of the formula, as is used in the warrant here, and that was the point, were the patients um, affected health-wise so that they had the right to um, not wear masks, or that the doctor could use the privilege to uh, certify that they can't wear masks. So there's no legal definitions of that formally, what uh, health reasons are, neither qualitative nor quantitative ways. And this is why the reasoning of each individual case is at the hands of the doctor and nowhere else. And to our appeal to that warrant, we had the verdict in Staufen at the court with two um, days of uh, negotiations and hearings, and that was a symptomatic contradiction. Um, the uh, judge pointed out a couple of times that this is not about corona or any scientific approach to the topic, but the rightfulness or wrongfulness of doctor's certificates. And here it was the experts of the prosecutions, and especially the judge herself, who always used corona and the scientific evidence of wearing masks. And of course, they mentioned it in a way that the conscience of the uh, defendant was questions. And this is why we couldn't stop to come up with respective uh, scientific findings. But um, let me go for the points. For uh, going to the judge court, um, there was only a request to take uh, care and wear a mask. Especially for this process, however, the judge surprisingly um, uh, declared uh, 3G and the obligation to wear masks. So that's how it starts. The expert pointed out that there is extreme pandemic uh, risk in 2020 with many deaths and uh, massive over mortality, excess mortality. He said that the effectiveness of the mask is uh, clear without beyond doubt and uh, that the 
um, masks have been shown as very effective on a scientific basis and um, because viruses are not like other viruses and SARS-CoV-2 can't be compared to other viruses either. So he would recommend to wear a mask at all times, especially in closed rooms, because that would prevent you from killing others. And uh, also, he thought it would be beyond doubt. He um, made his utterances very academically authoritative that the masks are not harmful. The mask, and this is a very glorious augmentation now, it would only lead to physiological changes, and this physiology is the um, normal way of life and not that of uh, disease. So it's only healthy changes that are caused by this mask. And uh, the masks, uh, he said he knew the whole world literature, and any damage by the mask are pure speculation, in his words, and something uh, as the effects are complete bullshit. So what does he base himself on? Did he actually cite these sources, or did he say he had, in fact, read all of the literature on it? Well, he mainly quoted the CDC research at the students in the U.S., which was revisited, and where it turned out that if you... Uh, look at the patient's quotes and uh, uh, see them over a longer time, that this initial estimate that was a profited that the uh, mask wearing helped uh, simply evaporated into thin air. Uh, that was the main point. Uh, beyond that, it was symptomatic that the different institutions <coughs> that led to the introduction of the mask mandates in 2020 uh, as Minas Abstein in uh, the uh, hospital journey detailed very closely in August 2020 already, that any institution, RKRI, all of them had very different uh, evidence, which are all not very clear, or even state the difference or the, the opposite. He all said all of this is all irreverent. In other words, you, you just uh, mentioned it, uh, hinted at it. Uh, he, he actually came in in authoritarian fashion. Absolutely. Yes, there was no assessment looking at different perspectives. Um, even if my uh, lawyer said we should consider different uh, perspectives, he saw that's all unscientific. You could just ask anybody for their opinion on these things. Uh, are they talking under oath, uh, these uh, people who make expert statements? It was the attorney only. No, no, it was the expert witness. Uh, that's why, uh, you know, the first session we uh, didn't have or, or, you know, was cancelled because he simply didn't show up because he thought uh, he, he didn't have to show up because he wasn't quite sure if he was supposed it was cited or not so the entire material that we had sent him he probably just looked at it the day before and he figured oh there's no way he can uh, peruse all of that and that's why uh, he simply uh, was a no-show on the first day of court so it was not the attorney at law but it was the ex uh, the expert who did that 
Yeah, it was a professor from Freiburg who was taken as an expert witness, and he he said that. Yes, it's uh, he was the expert witness, uh, Professor Kochem from Freiburg. All right, at any rate, so everything that uh, can be questioned, the whole bunch of nonsense. That's how they ruled. And then the question, what, what are, you know, are, are there any health reasons uh, to be released of the uh, obligation to wear masks? Uh, so the so-called expert witness, um, they uh, only quoted uh, statements uh, from the Chamber of Doctors um, and the association, medical associations, that uh, there were only certain medical reasons that could uh, liberate you uh, from wearing the mask. Other than that, everybody else uh, can be easily obligated to wear a mask. And he said, what kind of uh, diseases these could be? And he said, well, these are people that are so sick that you don't go out on the street anyhow. So that was basically uh, the the way he, he measured that. But that tells you how corrupt all that science really is. I think if the uh, court played along with it, they should be happy that they uh, were allowed to to uh, keep their belts on, or, or where where that you were allowed to keep your belt on um, and your suspenders. He himself, he was excited by all the stuff that he said. I'm not, no wonder. Uh, and then he was asked. You know what? Uh, uh, you know if this statement uh, would have uh, uh, w w would be would be applicable uh, uh, for for all the courts, and he says he, he said he didn't know because he was not uh, a man of law. Because the question, of course, is why uh, should an attorney uh, ask a medical expert witness to decide if? Um, a statement that a doctor has written is wrong or or not wrong. So uh, the whole thing uh, didn't make any sense and it, it, it wasn't logical at all. So classical, classical corruption of right, quite traditional. My lawyer said uh, that I was not supposed to use the word corruption at all. Well, otherwise you would have had to take your, take your belt off. Well, the, the written statement by the expert witness gives me the uh, impression that since they did not have any, uh, any real arguments, uh, they tried to discredit me uh, in a moral way and therefore criminalize my action. And this was explicitly said when he gave his uh, oral statement. He said that under normal circumstances, I would have had the right um, to, um, of course, focus on the well-being of my patients. But in the current situation, that wouldn't be the case, because in, at the moment, I would have to uh, make sure that I keep in uh, within the, the limitations of the well-being of the population at large. That takes it right to the heart of it. So, health, uh, uh, population hygiene, uh, is that from that time, possibly? Possibly, yes. 
this is from a time that is a lot before our times, that's for sure. Well, the attorney uh, at that time, so now I'm going to talk about the attorney here. So uh, he, he, he then focused on the level of competency of his expert witness and uh, all of the uh, 16 uh, doctor's statements that I wrote for my 16 patients were wrong and false because I didn't have a good reason for that. The idea was that everybody should wear face covering and should not be exempted from it. And therefore, I wasn't in a position uh, to exempt them. And, and they, they kept talking about the so-called majority of the population, which in science, of course, uh, is not really all that important, apparently, the majority. But, so they said that under certain circumstances, uh, the majority of well-renowned scientists, that uh, this uh, definition is binding, because if the majority comes to the conclusion that that is right, then other statements wouldn't have any relevance. And a physician has to be in keeping with the overall general opinion and not his personal opinion. So it's all evidence-based um, and the masks, uh, as everybody knows, uh, did not cause any damage to the population at large. That's easy to see. Where, where did he look? Does he look into the sleeping rooms and the bedrooms of the people in the children? I think that is gross incredibly gross anyway i do wonder um well that's not a civil court here uh, there you would uh, come up with your own experts if there were the case uh, but we just uh, heard in that soldiers uh, proceedings that nobody was interested in it it was just a fig leaf process proceedings and in the end the court did not take anything into account i do really wonder that there is an attorney of law there's thousands of studies professor valafa told us who did one of them there's thousands of research saying the masks are worth nothing a second they are dangerous so you really have to wonder how they get up with the idea that the majority of scientists say that they uh, have the same opinion well, yeah, and we know exactly how they get to define a majority. It's very uh, interesting that since early 2020, only the first critical uh, scientific works had been published, where they said that those who did it said there could be a benefit possibly before before 2020. There was not a single study that. Um, showed um, that masks help in re help in respiratory uh, diseases or came to that result. There was none of that before. It was only that the research was funded later on uh, by people who had an interest in these results. So there was massive flows of money to the people who in the political scene and the mainstream supplied these uh, studies to reason these decisions. It started in 2020 positive for mass against mass good no good since 2020 there was an incline uh, there was this copenhagen study which really looked at with six t thousands of people with and without and they didn't find any significant change but the um 
people who looked at the droplets and who saw at the mesh size, they thought well, maybe something that is helpful. And it's incredible to see what quality these researchers are. Yeah, really, scientism. Yes, that's true. That's true. Um, and then he came back to the uh, defendant um, uh, with his own assessment. Uh, uh, how he managed to do that was um, incomprehensible to me, but he said the defendant had their own idea on applicable law and thought that was worth more and uh, deliberately issued false certificates because he had known that there is no health reasons to issue these certificates and uh, based and another um, icing on the cake due to the um, missing understanding the original um, penalty had to be increased by another 20-day fees so just to bring some figures in well that really that's grotesque at the end of the broadcast, at the end of the session, we'll have a video in which an American comedian is going to uh, make fun of the behavior, which is uh, in a reflexive mode immediately of those who love their vaccination to be able to go back to ball games or to go back to work. Um, I, these people who are victim of this fraud, I mean, they, I feel sorry for, but those who use that argument to uh, nail people like you to the cross, that's something that I really, those are people I do not like. Well, that, that keeps you healthy, by the way. And then it was impressive to see um, with what facial expression the uh, judge thanked the attorney at law for their presentation. And while my uh, lawyer had her pledoyi, the uh, attorney at law fell asleep. So um, we are moving here in uh, the lowest levels of uh, court rulings. And in her reasoning, the judge pointed out her great patience with what sh uh, which she listened to our irrelevant explanations. And she noted that the defendant, in the interest of his patience, um, went beyond the known uh, knowledge of uh, renowned experts, and that had to be ruled because if all doctors had done this, all the regulations would have gone in vain. It is only good that there is no people who lost anybody to Corona amongst the audience. And she added, let me just remind you of the Bergamo images. End of the quote. Uh, Incredible, incredibly stupid, uh, incredibly uh, stupid, or a massive manipulation of both. And you wonder, why is it that we are able to see the true facts and to look in the right places where we find the information and they cannot find it? What is wrong with these people? It's all psychology. Uh, Matthias Desmond said it already. Uh, often 
It's a combination of uh, the mass formation that Professor Desmond mentioned and the traumatization. Both uh, the population at large is subject to. Well, I shared a couple of things in the last session that I was uh, a guest here. Um, the judge said that the expert explained everything very, very nicely, and also according to the opinion of uh, Dr. Friends, she had masks are good. She herself um, has not had any respiratory diseases since she was wearing masks, and uh, the uh, complaints of his patients, the doctor should not have believed what their, what his patients had said. That's, that's, that's beastly. That's really beastly. Yes. And in no case, um, he could have seen a pathological medical um, diagnosis. And the certificates are neither qualified nor differentiated. Uh, of course, if you're a doctor, you have to question everything. But the critical medicals uh, doctors had actually agreed that masks are the means of choice. And uh, Corona regulations, which has been to court a couple of times, was made by people who are obliged to the basic uh, law in Germany and that whom we have to trust. In particular, um, towards corona regulations, the doctor is more than normally in the duty to do that. Just think about the many coffins in Italy and the incidences. We don't know anything. So I'm, I'm just reporting, I'm just quoting. So this is uh, rules and regulations not made by a lawmaker, but these are fine points that a judge maybe does not have to know. <laughs> You're right. Surely not. And uh, when the defendant, that means me, had the last word, the judge obviously had great trouble in listening to me. Uh, she uh, grabbed her files, she disinfected her hands, or she uh, cleaned her nails. Uh, I, in my justification, focused on the uh, obligations we have as doctors where it says that I will follow my profession to all my consciousness and I will help every patient uh, right from the start with all dignity and even under the threat of life, I will not uh, leave my doctoral duty aside. And it says doctors uh, follow their job by their consciousness, ethical reasons and dignity. They are not allowed to accept any regulations or instructions that collide with these uh, rules and that they can't follow by their consciousness. Doctors have to fulfill their profession with all due diligence and uh, not um, misjudge any of the trust that the patients have in them. And their action, although patients has to be aligned, their actions have to be aligned with the benefit of the patients and never about the by the interests of third parties. 
And uh, this last sentence, especially they are not allowed to put the well of third parties above the well-being of patients, I derive that things like health of the populations or functionality of the health systems can't overrule the well-being of an individual patient. And uh, I ended by say, stating that according to my due diligence obligations as a doctor, I avoided physical damage from my patients without uh, having any epidemiologic effect on the development of the pandemic. Summarizing or looking back, I think we can say that the attorney and the judge ignored applicable law. They, without consideration, overruled medical standards. They felt emotionally entitled to do so because most of the German doctors for two years have, in the same way, um, overruled medical professional standards and they thought they were right to do so because they could hide behind the pseudoscientific research of pseudo professors who by their conflict of interest in the corona narrative uh, showed as much competence as in their juridical illusions so far thank you very much side. Very interesting, very interesting, because what I read in between the lines is that uh, they seem to have fun uh, doing that, or at least they enjoyed that apparently, so that the, the prosecutor, uh, you know, the, 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 was thanked, uh, uh, and then the, the, the judge, you know, she was just doing her fingernails when you were saying such important things. That gives me the impression that it's like a, a ritualistic um, confirmation of what they all believe in. You know, it's almost a, you know a type of making fun of those who suffer damage. Yeah, that's the sadistic street. Simply that. How, as a uh, judge, can you say I've paid great patience by listening to the defendant? What an incredible, drastic uh, obscenity that has to be punished by the maximum penalty. Yeah, and then also, you know, the way they hand down, uh, uh, it's like in the old days, like in bad days, you know, the judge is sort of like the king uh, who is very happy in his or her role and then, you know, in a very dignified fashion, you know, would uh, be gracious enough to actually listen for a few minutes, but that's it. That's gone. That's part. And uh, even when, you know, uh, you know, when I gave my final statement, she wanted to limit the time, but then, uh, thank God, I was able to do that. My God. Well, um, we have a matching video clip for that, which is Niels Melzer. Niels Melzer is a Swiss professor of law, diplomat and author, and he is in the uh, UN Special Reporter for Torture. It's a very brief clip. Let's look at that because what he has to tell us shows that there are people in positions who still can move things that are shattered by what we see here. But not anymore. He's not, he's not, no, he's he's not been part. kicked out. How far? 
have we sunk? If we prosecute people that expose war crimes for exposing war crimes, how far have we sunk when we no longer prosecute our own war criminals because we identify more with them than we identify with the people that actually expose these crimes? What does that tell about us and about our governments? Erschütternd. Yeah. Also. So, it can't carry on. We've heard from the Dutch that we are getting to a tipping point. We can see that in other countries of the world, and then you have to keep your nerves and uh, get on surface water. When things break down, the question on truth and the actual power will be asked, and the power is with the people who are above on the ground on the plank and not those who are above the abyss uh, with a Hitler saluting, um, asking people to do things. I hope you're right. Thank you, Mr. Kuchen. I wish you a wonderful weekend. We'll stay in contact. Thank you very much. All the best to you, sir. Good luck. Good luck. All right. Now we uh, move on to what occurred in Leipzig. We have Professor Dr. Martin Schwab. He was uh, one of the attorneys uh, in Leipzig. And then we have Professor Dr. Ulrike Kemmerer, one of the expert witnesses. And, and also Professor uh, Werner Bergholz, who is also was also an expert visit. It, apparently, um, Professor Kemmerer still needs some time. And I think uh, Martin, uh, Professor Dr. Martin Schwab can talk about it and explain it a little bit and give us some background. Martin, you first. Yes. Hello. I think um, I don't have to start at all from the beginning again. I think we can start, as I reported earlier on, what the second uh, May hearing said. I represented that on the 6th of May, and I think uh, on the 8th of June or 9th of June, I uh, told you what happened on the 8th of June, and now this is mainly about looking at uh, what was the evidence that we got and uh, what is the uh, ruling which uh, I think many of you already know and which um, of course does not make people very happy and how should that be assessed. So um, my integrated camera doesn't work. I have to hold my uh, webcam by hand. Uh, so please excuse uh, the um, the image. Um, anyway, the hearing on Wednesday came up with two major evidence topics. One was the statistics in the safety report, and the second one is what do we have to think of the batches released by the Paul Ehrlich Institute? And let me start with the result. If we look at it honestly, <clears throat> the representatives of Paul Ehrlich Institute, the statistic person, Doris Oberle, and the batch expert, virologist Ralf Wagner, <clears throat> really 
uh, chop their own heads off. Uh, everything could have done be set up for the party. Let me just start <coughs> by <coughs> reporting on my notes, or rather the uh, colleague Christoph Kuber, who was um, in the court with us to ask questions as an expert in, with uh, some experts. He had published a report where the two main criticism points of the safety report of Paralympic Institute were put forward. And one of them was the question on the uh, possible deaths due to the uh, vaccines <clears throat> and the sectors versus uh, against um, expected analysis. What is that? Well, I look at a certain cohort of people and uh, think of how many deaths I would have expected statistically altogether without respect to the cause of death. And then I look at the observed cohort to see how many did I actually observe. And of course, you would think, well, how many do we have all together? No, Paralelic Institute does that differently. They ask how many deaths did they observe where the death is in uh, uh, suspicion to be in context with the vaccination. So I have suspected in a certain cohort for a certain point of time, whatever they die of, whether they're vaccinated or not. Uh, so they must have been vaccinated for the cohort to be comparable. And then I see and look how many um, expected are there uh, if there's thousand cases, it must have been thousand uh, expected cases, so or thousand one to be uh, exact uh, uh, to see a risk signal that will lead to the absurd consequence that due to the basis of Parallelich safety report. Um, with the data of end of uh, March 2022, 104,000 people are suspected to be reported to trigger a risk warning. So that would mean more than a third of the for Paul Ehrlich Institute to see a respective signal at all. This is um, what we actually could get out of her. She tried to justify it, but that uh, is that actually the amount of doses vaccinated? So the question is, what do we have to expect? And um, it's uh, 2,810 cases reported or 16, um, which uh, had been noted in correlation with the vaccination. So they were asked, what happens about the other 260-94? Uh, did you check them? Yes, they did. But be aware, Paralelich Institute does not get the respective information to assess the cases. And why don't they not? Well, because the doctors' interviews, we know, most of the reports do not come from the doctors, but from the people who are affected, and if they have died by their relatives. Doctors don't answer the phone. They don't answer letters. They are blind and deaf if PII asks them about the matter. So, of course, they don't cooperate with the monitoring authority. That is something you should consider for a moment. And then we had another question, which was, Paul Ehrlich Institute asks, 
for certain side effects for a so-called background incidence, uh, which is, for example, stroke or something like that, 164 to 104,000 over a certain period of time. And then they look at the question, if I expect a certain, uh, 146 cases and 100,000 people over a certain period of time, I would have asked how many did I get? How many people got a stroke in that time? But they don't. They calculate the cohort that they looked at, not with the same, with the number of people, but with the number of doses. So that means they calculate the background incidency, so and so me, perhaps 100,000, and actually they observe a certain number of uh, perimph doses. We know that uh, the basic immunization required two shots, and many over the period of report had uh, got their third and some even the fourth shot. So, um, I asked the question, is there a distortion? Yes, there may be, but uh, that's limited because the risk of an adverse effect increases with each uh, shot. Oh, wow. Uh, so I thought that's a good answer for us. But of course, it doesn't um, do away with the distortion. And then they carried on by saying, so, um, we uh, show the health insurance data, we all know that, uh, 2,500 million cases as adverse effects that had been uh, um, as invoiced by the doctors to the insurances. So we wondered, um, let's assume the doctors had all these two and a half million cases um, if they had reported them to the Parallelity Institute, could you cope with the amount of data? No, we couldn't. We are understaffed for that. They had 13 staff, and many of them are simply students who work uh, part-time only and who are not qualified for the job anyway. So they would take a long time to see a risk signal. Um, somebody had reported and got no response. Um, so they simply can't cope with the work. That is what we conclude from this evidence. And there is one more point that I had forgotten which was which was the question i think it's a question from mr kubantner or mr kramer maybe who came in um he was in our uh, on our side as well and he uh, compared it to influenza the risk or in dying a corona infection, if you look at the figures, um, 42 point uh, uh, two times higher than an influenza. Um, no, it isn't a risk because we get so many reports. I, I wondered whether I could trust my ears. Maybe that should be a risk to see a risk 
indication. Well, there are some points, and of course, there are many that are died die because of their preconditions. Be good if we had that with the corona um, issues as well, but we have a different measurement there. Uh, let me go down to. Um, of course, they came up with a narrative that in the corona vaccines, they look much, much closer because it's a new type of vaccine. The reality, unfortunately, is quite different. Many doctors um, don't want to see any cause um, of the problems the patients show to them. Uh, they don't want to connect that to the vaccines in any way. <clears throat> and then, at this point, We could say that there were many, many statements that you could clearly lead, uh, that would clearly lead you to the conclusion that the Paul Ehrlich Institute is incapable to come up with proper statistics. And uh, let me just uh, go on forward. And I'll hand over to Professor Beckhards because he understands this matter better than I. The batch inspector was asked, who seemed to have a sovereign um, experience and appearance there, but doubtable questions. He was asked whether he goes to see the production utilities. And he said, no, no, we get the reports from the production utilities themselves. So every little restaurant gets a visit from health insurance. But um, going from Langen to Frankfurt and Mainz, um, which is just a couple of kilometers away, is too far for Paul Ehrlich Institute. Anyway, um, they carried on by saying, with a couple of points that I uh, noted, and then I'll hand over to you, Werner, you are better in putting this forward, when we had the uh, Grey Range, which is one of the uh, chemical professors um, who were to ask this. This was a dispersion. Um, how do you measure whether it's white enough or it's too grey? Well, we don't have that measurement. We just uh, keep it up against the white background and a black background, and then we judge that by our eyesight. That was how to check the impurities. Um, there's not much content in it anyway, so we don't have to take care. And in the further, we just uh, refer to the um, laboratory tests by the producers, and they went on like that consistently they simply rely on what the producers tell them to monitor them. And if we come to the quality management, I'll hand over to you because I think you are very qualified to ask these questions. And uh, you could uh, have some unpleasant questions to Mr. Wagner. All right. Thank you very much. That was a wonderful overview you gave us. Um, uh, let's see the inspection of the vaccines. Well, within the framework of quality management, it is, of course, a given that not only the way the PEI does it, I do some end tests or uh, their, their entrance tests uh, and then release the batches. But of course, you need to check the data of the manufacturer. So the PEI 
only looks at four different things the the quantity and appearance and then you know this uh, gray shimmer and then the mri uh, content and integrity and they get uh, some 30 to 40 or 50 further data from the manufacturer too and i asked them do they actually correlate the data no we don't and then i asked them how many batches do you all together maybe 700 uh, so we're talking uh, so and so many weeks so uh, so I, I i didn't really understand why that would have been the big big secret here but then then i asked do you know uh, that five percent of the batches uh, cause uh, 95 percent of all the side effects and i don't know what he said but apparently he didn't know that but i said well that obviously means that these uh, batches are crap I, I said it differently then but uh, you cannot actually deliver those batches apparently in the end controls you didn't notice anything and I don't want to say that they did this intentionally, but apparently they they simply uh, noticed a thing. And then Matusek said, well, I told him rather that the limitations for some of the parameters are given and therefore, I mean, very low and therefore they couldn't notice anything. And then to top on uh, to top this, he said, all right, maybe true, but if um, I, then I said, do you actually uh, compare your own findings with the number of uh, side effects that, uh, that you hear from, from, from colleagues? Because, I mean, that's definitely part of quality management. I want to know why were there uh, faults in the batches? What may have been the reason for that? And he says, no, we didn't do that. And then it came out that apparently at least in many cases, they didn't even jot down the batch numbers uh, once they had some side effects reported. So that's again a major infraction. And the worst is this, what is PEI supposed to do? They are supposed to make sure that the so-called vaccinations are safe. So that means that there has to be a person who not only looks at the statistics of the side effects in an isolated fashion and not only has his own lab findings and judges them down, but there has to be somebody who has the overall responsibility and then drafts a process and a comprehensive analysis. So that's what you call quality management. And apparently they don't even have that person at the Paul Ehrlich Institute. If I were an auditor, and apparently they uh, are certified by ISO 9002, uh, immediately they would have lost their certificate in a situation like that. And then they would have given them 90 days to fix that problem. And then possibly they may have returned the certificate to them, but they would have been under scrutiny. So in total, I could say that BI has uh, failed enormously and then if you look at that uh, you know in, in the findings of the court ruling 
the, where it says the DPI gives you a solid basis of data. That, of course, uh, is running counter to any kind of science, mathematics, and, of course, against uh, quality management. So one does not follow the other, that's for sure. I was royally upset, <laughs> to, to say it mildly, how they can come up, came up with statements of that nature. So that's basically the end of what I wanted to contribute at this point of time. Well, it is apparently done in uh, such a lay fashion. How many people did, did work at PI, PEI? I'm not... Uh, I, don't, I don't really know. Um, while we were talking, there were some details <clears throat> that I remembered. Mr. Wagner was also asked if you get letters um, from the audience pointing things like graphene oxide or things like that that shouldn't be in the vaccines. Do you follow up on that? No, 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 no. It's not a peer-reviewed study. We're not interested in knowing. So, Paul Ehrlich Institute, I would expect that peer-reviewed studies are proactively researched by them and acknowledged and um, that the audience's um, indications should be a reason to see if there's anything that they haven't been researched in. That's what they're there for in the end. And it was very good to have a, a discussion between Mr. Mattis and Mr. Wagner. Uh, the roles were set out. Um, where do you measure, Mr. Markner asked, uh, the uh, stability of the mRNA? And Mr. Matiktik said, well, that's what you should check. And uh, so uh, it went on like that. Mr. Matik asked, uh, have you got uh, a Harman microscope, uh, the Raman spectrography? If you don't, you should get one. Um, so they don't even have the equipment that they need uh, to do the testing that they are supposed to do. And as we are added, um, and there is uh, more adverse effects in a certain batch, that was one thing that we pointed out, uh, that would be um, a reason to ask the uh, return batch um, uh, graph. Um, and they said, no, 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 it's not not issue to call that back. So. Complete failure. They they do wrong what they can do wrong. Uh, so, um, like someone like Mr. Wagner, or maybe even the uh, top chief, are obliged to full any indication concerning safety. Uh, one of the results, uh, the um, one of the Tobias Ulrich, the lawyer pointed out that uh, some tiger or what other uh, military or an aircraft would have never found the mistake why it uh, came down if there hadn't been an indication from somebody completely not involved. Uh, I think even a whistleblower, if uh, they hadn't got that and followed up on that, they wouldn't have found the reason. So if I were in a responsible position for the quality of this uh, stew, I had to follow up on everything actively, however absurd it may be. A nice piece of information was that he didn't know the website, how bad is my batch? So I do wonder how blind they are. This out, 
uh, the, by Tobias Ulbricht, the colleague lawyer, he w uh, pointed out that in an aircraft accident, also it wasn't the um, own people inspect the own inspectors who found it and the, following the guidelines, something else from external. There was something else when the law was uh, or the courts were still working um, by the chair of the Bank Senate, who in an essay, I think at the end of the 80s or 90s, I don't know, I have got the essay, Mr. Shimansky, he any of the 90s. <clears throat> and he, in his essay, pointed out uh, the well-known process uh, uh, frauds in the banks. I can uh, report on that on my um, experience. They lie when they open their mouths, the banks and the representatives do. And he gave an example saying there is a continuous legislation or ruling which was completely wrong because the, the judges did not want to or did not note anything but simply followed the fraudulent um, statements. But from external input from other people, there were uh, the uh, information coming out to prove and uh, take around this completely false uh, rulings of the jaws, but this is not happening here because any other thing, however big the risk may be, is excluded per se. And um, what is about the findings um, was, uh, from the evidence was in the uh, rulings? Or do we have to find and conclude that these uh, expert hearings were just a fig leaf um, hearing and we have a court which simply issued a uh, Blanco check for Pi, RKE and everybody who's behind them? Well. When we were through with the explanation of the ruling, I thought, okay, apparently we simply did away with all the rules of mathematics and natural science. I couldn't see any connection of uh, these facts and uh, what um, you know they put forth and uh, the things that they presented and the reason for the particular ruling, uh, one didn't have anything to do with the other. That's my impression as well. It starts simply by the judge uh, reasoning the ruling, paragraph 17a, sentence 2, um, which was introduced uh, in 75. Soldiers are working close together, and that is why they have to do everything to keep themselves healthy. So um, the obligation to suffer this um, was um, connected with the duty of the soldier to keep healthy. And then uh, he started to refer on the pandemics. This is something that the immune system wasn't prepared for. Uh, already is shaking her head already. Uh, um, good to have you here with us. Welcome, uh, Ulrike, at um, her presentation in June in the hearings had made clear that the way that um, you counted the um, infection rates with the PCR test is completely out of the case. Uh, she had a big uh, 
argument with Dr. Rommel Wolfel, the military doctor, those, um, this guy who was involved in things that are scientifically strange, to put it mildly, in uh, research to the so-called asomatic transfer of diseases. Um, this is what I pointed out in my writings as well, that this person said at the time, the Chinese um, uh, that uh, had transferred this, um, although um, she, every world, she, this example person had taken medicine just to point this out, and uh, then <clears throat> they carried on with Omicron. Uh, it all wasn't so dangerous anymore, but the vaccination still would uh, further stop the transfer of the virus. That's what the RKRI. Uh, credibly assured, but now if we talk about the transmission, we are not talking about a vaccination to protect my own health. Now I'm supposed to get the shot to protect the health of my comrades. So we have a shift of focus. So that's very inconsistent with the original line of the argument. And then um, it re carried on to reason saying that the court came to the conclusion that the vaccines are still effective. Uh, why uh, did the data go away from the reports? And they're not even included in the monthly report, which I had promised. Um, I think it's only out now. The data is still not in there, with the reason that there is distortions, because there were different test proceedings. Well, if I use the test proceedings to uh, acclaim the incidence rates, I may wonder whether tests are suitable to do that. And uh, I'll hand over to Erika for that point in a minute, because I think um, that was a beautiful discussion that you had. You should report on that here. Um, uh, I'll just summarize the reasoning of the rulings. And then they carried on to say that this is a uh, that this is done by a physician and that's enough um i said a doctor uh, that harms more than it does help it can't be done by a doctor because it harms health of the people but that is something that shouldn't be implied here and then they carried on saying that they if it serves the uh, stopping of the spreading of the virus. And they said, yes, the offer, the vaccination serves its purpose. Whether it delivers it um, <clears throat> is uh, a different question. Uh, the more important point is to have it as to serve that, and that will be enough. Um, so the intention is okay. I didn't take all these notes because I, I was, uh, I, I was, um, fascinated by all that stupidity and uh, already asked me whether we want to go. I said, no, I want to have this fun to the end. Um, it was clear that I um, was going to report on this here. And then they carried on. And it is not the um, uh, inapplicability that they pointed out, but it is about reasonability, which is uh, by norm not addressed. Um, the point is that the uh, army can oblige the soldier to do this, so they can discuss and decide whether they want to or not. 
And then they said, well, of course, there's dramatic side effects, but um, also in the infection, there's dramatic side effects. You can't get away from the risk. That's an idea that I had presented in written and in my uh, presentation as well, that you can have both the risk of the uh, infection and the vaccination accumulated. And that is something that they ignored. That doesn't have to do with the evidence. And I have to say that in the adverse effects, we had very well presented our evidence. And before I hand over to Ulrike, I want to remind you of one thing. We did not only give the texts, but the images as well, pictures. We presented um, um, a written a, a document, mainly uh, written by someone else, although I signed it. Um, with a broad range of uh, adverse effects by people who used to be healthy before the shots, uh, um, uh, flesh uh, going away, hypersoster closing eyes, amputated feet, uh, thromboses, strokes, um, myocarditis, all of the range. That was a dossier which my uh, girlfriend Anita had put together in difficult detail. I'll, I'll, um, explaining all the medical details and um, with that dossier alone we should win that process if they if we show what that can do to the people and in due we talked about the headaches um which is what the uh, army said oh what's a what's a headache and then they identified a study um that showed um that um headaches with a lethal result uh, because that uh, showed out a tumor and um, so um, that's something that doesn't count again so myocarditis um, which were talked about a lot on 8th of june um, saying okay this is a one or five days and it's done and over well maybe he should uh, check the fundamental fundamental medical um, uh, uh, lectures and and uh, knowledge um, and then he would know that would reduce the life expectancy uh, materially and uh, it goes to death quickly in many cases I asked the soldiers I said do you do a uh, monitoring do you test before and ask the dedimers do you <clears throat> test the liver values, autoimmune hepatitis diagnosed uh, to uh, show this, and uh, so on. <coughs> well, that uh, you can see a cause here. And what do you do about um, heart muscle inflammations? The only monitoring that they do, which is what my client told me, is and that's everybody got the jab that is what they monitor they're not interested in anything else that's why my questions were never answered and so the adverse effects well that's a general risk of life and uh, i really have to say that kicked me out of the chair 
uh, so they know that everybody who gets the jab forced by them, it's their fault. And after that presentation, after they even agreed that we did good, we provided good evidence, they come say, uh, now it has nothing to do with the evidence, but it's rather like uh, being dictated to them. I have no explanation. Although, Ulrike, tell us uh, your, about your freestyle battle with Mr. Wilfer. I may, just a short remark. From my understanding, uh, there were very few questions that could have been asked, and they, they, those that were asked, it was obvious that they knew exactly what they were doing. Uh, I think they did it intentionally. That's what they wanted to bring about, and that's what they did. <coughs> yes, I, th I think that would have been my impression too, because uh, the day that I was there, which was the 8th of June, um, the questions were very directed, very targeted, and uh, they were specific. <clears throat> and therefore, yesterday and the day before yesterday, I wasn't there, but I heard that uh, there was this lack of checking the batches. And then I said, uh, you know, do they actually sequence the RNA? And apparently they don't do that either. And that's a major problem because is the RNA in there in the right quantity and in the right level of purity? Because RNA is not a substance like any other, but that is the one that transports information. And if I have the myocrine acid in there and it is pure, and there is a sequence, 6.5 kilobase, and that would have been the right one, we could still get the completely wrong message so it's just like if I check a book and I judge it by the cover and I see, yeah, there's, uh, you know, there's print in it, a couple of letters, uh, I guess it's a book, a whole bunch of pages. But what is being transported, if it is a communist manifesto or if it's the Bible or if it's a book for young people, uh, I don't know what it is. Uh, I um, cannot make a differentiation there, and therefore I can also not know if the RNA information uh, is in the substances uh, that is the spike protein coded or not. So apparently, uh, because they wanted to or because they didn't know how to, they didn't check that information. That's something that should be added, because that would have been the normal thing to do. And the sequencing, you know, is really, really inexpensive, and it's something that can be uh, done in a very simple fashion. Uh, so they could uh, do that for every single batch without any difficulty. But my impression was <coughs> of the overall court proceeding was that, in fact, I noticed that the judges did ask pertinent questions, but then uh, the lawyers did not ask any critical questions. So there were people from the RKI and from Pfizer. And, you know, once it got down uh, to the difficult stuff, they simply stalled on the questions. And what I thought was interesting was that the officials from the federal army, you know, the experts, and the lawyers uh, from the German army, I mean, they were just sitting there, just sitting there. They did not 
ask single questions, no follow-up questions. I thought they were going to, to ask a lot of questions, but they didn't. Uh, so it was not only the respondent, but uh, uh, the federal army, nada, nothing, zip. Ulrike, in these kind of proceedings, and it's a proceeding where, in the end, small two officers, although they may be high ranking, are against the system. I know this. I know this behavior from the bank proceedings. You really wonder, and you rightly do so, of course, the other side asks questions, but it doesn't need to if the other side, in the end, can see that the judge will do their job. Uh, so, as you rightly see said, and I've been through this in the, the proceedings that I was, um, if the work, uh, the judge does the work for the other side by, for example, not ask, not answering questions that are details, you can stop it. They they can just let it go by. Yeah, exactly. That was the impression. Uh, it was as if they were watching a very boring movie that they were forced to watch. Uh, they already knew the ending. Uh, they weren't interested in it. I had the impression <clears throat> that it was interesting to observe them. And I presented a few things that had to do something directly with the, the army stuff. And even then, there was zero reaction. Uh, I found that rather surprising. And then Mr. Welchen, I approached him directly because, uh, you know, we were talking about the, the all of these corona um, wrong information, you know, Drosta and so on. And uh, when they were talking about the supposed symptoms and, you know, then they said it was an asymptomatic um, transferal. And so, in other words, even the simple publications from the internet, they simply had not uh, read. Um, so, in there, you would have had the entire uh, history of that particular patient. So, even in the first publication, there was the information was that it was not symptomatic. So, on, he was included in two papers, and in two cases, uh, in the two cases, the, the lady had two different um, uh, medical histories. So, she was not asymptomatic, but uh, we didn't harp on that. And then he himself says that he had a better PCR uh, published and replicated it, but at that point, even at the very, very, very first publication where he was the first author, uh, at that point, if it had been serious, you know, the standard PCR could have been replaced with his findings. And what I told him was that in the first publication already, this differentiation of the virus genomes was shown and they detailed on that, and 
So, and then I asked him about the gender function research, which is, a, you know, this is like a very, very uh, specialized institute for biological weapons. And from the story they knew, from they knew that the virus apparently originated in Wuhan, China, and they must have known that in Wuhan they have these um, lab where they do a lot of Gallup uh, research. So I would have expected that an institute that uh, is there specialized on the defense against biological weapons, that if there is a difficulty coming out of a lab in that region where you have that kind of lab and where I know that you have leaks in that lab, not only in that lab, you have leaks everywhere in, in, in many, many labs uh, around the world. And uh, that, uh, you know, extremely d uh, dangerous uh, germs may escape. That can always, of course, happen. And if I have the sequences and I see that there's something odd, and uh, then I don't go further into detail to see if that may be the case, then uh, and if the protein, you know, the pathogen is, it, 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 in fact, uh, manufactured, and, and that was my accusation, actually, that the soldiers were forced to take an injection of a spike protein, which one-to-one -one, uh, would have this RNA, one sequence uh, of the protein. And in many publications, it has been shown that there are alien components of, that shouldn't be there uh, and, uh, you know, have uh, an additional potential for damage. Well, they shouldn't get in there by nature. It's very, very unlikely that this would happen. And a number of authors and very good uh, renowned scientists uh, that know this because they have been working with it for their life. They showed quite clearly that there are sequences that wouldn't mean any uh, evolutionary benefit for the viruses. They would simply vanish in nature. The viruses would uh, discharge them quickly because they're useless. And this is what they found in that Wuhan sequence. And uh, some of these have been used in the mRNA <clears throat> vaccines. And there they are suddenly, but in the Omicron virus, which is the one that everybody's getting now and they're finding everywhere, they are not included there. And so this is why it's so harmless and everyone knows that. So there was a time that they had come up with the manufacturer's virus, which was measured at times. And then they had the test for two years with finding all different sorts of things. And now we sequence uh, the viruses and we look at Omicron and Omicron doesn't complain. It's still they jab these toxic spikes to the people with that severe and dangerous changes leading to all the adverse effects, which at the time and that gain of functions uh, virus were planned. Now, people get injected with that. That's why virus wouldn't have stand, stood a chance to make people sick because you get this substance only in the people by jabbing them. That's when, that's what they do. That's exactly the way I explained it to the judges. I said, you know, if the virus is manufactured or not, the original virus is so close to the normal seasonal pathogens 
uh, you know, that it actually links up to the immune system and that uh, uh, those who have a damaged immune system, they may have a very, very difficult uh, developments as to lethal developments. And so when we're talking about the spike protein, which has the original dangerous uh, sequencing, that this is actually put beyond the immunity border of the mucous system. And all of these points, just like everything else that has been presented, that the statisticians uh, presented, were disregarded. And the RKI guy, uh, whatever he said, uh, it was horrible. Uh, and the main message was, we don't have figures, we don't have numbers, we're not interested in that, and all of you guys are just dumb. Apparently, that's the message he was giving us in his three hours. Ulrike, this, this Werfel, was he involved in that document on the so-called, it was a preprint, and then now you said, uh, which I didn't know, uh, the supplements, it can, you can see that this uh, woman was not asymptomatic, but that she did have symptoms. Was she involved in that paper? Well, as a first author, I mean, uh, there are wow. figures as the responsible party. That's a lie paper then. Incredible. Yes. That's the designs publication where he is the number one uh, author. It was in Nature. It was in Nature. It was Nature, yes. A publication in April. In March 2020, we had the last editor review, and he was uh, in the middle of the author's line, and then April 2020, and in The Lancet in May 2020, where he was also involved, not as the first or last author. <clears throat> Yes, but in the major publication there, uh, where we have the PCR, uh, um, I mean, the, the dross in PCR had to be modified. Uh, that had to be modified. And Drossen was on that paper too as a co-author. Uh, and then, you know, the sequencing and the asymptomatic. And then it says, oh, too bad, you know, everybody's doing fine. Uh, that is also what it says there in the Nature publication, because uh, in the first semester cases, uh, in terms of the age group, they were the ones correlating, you know, to the soldiers. So they had a couple of uh, flu infections, but the coronatypical symptoms was defined as, believe it or not, fever and cough, and. That was uh, SARS-CoV-2 infection, COVID-19, fever and coughing, and then congested nose, uh, headache, and which is basically everything that you know that uh, when you have a cold, when you have a viral infection, and they called that COVID typical. Yeah, and then you had the issue of loss of. Uh, uh, the olfactory sense, uh, but that's something that you also have in others, right? Yeah, I mean, that has always been like the main, main reason. But this, of course, a bunch of baloney. 
Well, the I don't have my own data. I only used uh, data from others. But the um, judges received the information that this was not uh, any dangerous uh, infection, but uh, it, it, it was like like a regular viral infection. They had the symptoms, but the symptoms were not different between SARS-CoV-2 and other corona or a regular cold, uh, like a you know, flu influenza infection. And there were always coronaviruses in that. And uh, nobody ever looked for them, although they knew they were always in it. And of course, at the time, they could have caught, uh, caused a part of the problems in and smelling and uh, tasting. Well, how is it then? We know definitely that, uh, you know, it was again an American court and it, uh, that all of these false emails were shown that uh, Rosten was involved in all of these. Uh, tests and we don't know if Werger was also in involved. Good question. It's a an army institute. Of course, they publish a lot, but never about gain of function. Justin himself did gain of function experiments, but just standard in virology, and he published on that as well. And um, there's one of his documents. Um, the he took. Uh, the original Zaskov um, 25 uh, mutations adapted to the human genome. So it's all published. And uh, Mr. Wilford uh, published a lot in that as well, I would say, with a whole range of agents that you would find in bioweaponry. It says Ginkongo, it has uh, West Nile five fever. Uh, all of these things are all there. These are the pets of these gain-of-function guys. <clears throat> and uh, that is, and the Loeffler Institute, they are the experts in Germany. So they must be involved. So in other words, if I can summarize this, independent of, of, of this court ruling, which all of you uh, agree had nothing to do in its outcome with uh, evidence they took a virus, which is vastly expanded. Uh, they use that as a platform to create an artificial disease using PCR tests so that afterwards uh, they can actually diagnose this disease with many people, as many people as possible. But uh, instead of using the vaccination as the cause, which of course it would have been, they said, no, no, it's all Corona. And I looked at the data again, and I saw a video from Berta Bana where she said that after the so-called vaccination, there has been an increase of cases with the soldiers of 4,000%, 4,000%. Because you must be able to recognize uh, the image of a disease. So they took, uh, a, a, a virus that is vastly there, and they just made it more uh, dangerous, uh, which of course is a simple story, uh, simply overgo the immune system. Well, one note on that, perhaps, which I was it was pointed out to me by a researcher who does a lot of work and uh, valuable work. She showed me a work 
um, the which has shown that uh, they looked at eight adults who all got the Combinato, Combinati Pfizer shot. And with these people, 14 days after the initial injection and the, after the second one as well, uh, mostly after the second one, they found extrasomes that contain spike proteins. So they were immunologically verified, um, uh, made visible, and found in the exosomes. Exosomes are messages within our body that appear everywhere in the body so that they can be passed on by the mucleus as well. And there's not much research on that as yet. We've heard again and again that we do have that possible shedding. Uh, so people who didn't get the shot but still have the side effects. And that would give them opportunity to do by that by these exosomes, which are toxic and are passed on. Or even in the first uh, fortnight after the uh, shots, the nanoparticles, which then lead to a spike production in the non-vaccinated people. These things are not researched at all. So it's not only the soldiers, but also the partners, the families, the relatives. Now, they have to be protected, and this is the research is urgent to be demanded by the Paul Ehrlich Institute. There's enough indication of that, that this shedding is possible. It can happen by nanoparticles or by the extrasomes. And um, I'm really astonished that they simply uh, take this, and even the people who don't take this shot, they have to warn against them, don't get into contact with the vaccinated people. But I think it's, in fact, even worse than that, because apart from that the Corona also has already been listening to about 400 witnesses here, but from all the evidence that we have, um, it should be clear by now uh, that there is a clearly indicated sh shedding. The charge, the batch numbers are not being followed, so you have to come to the conclusion that they do that on purpose. This is something that is being done intentionally because this is a faulty behavior at all level and this is done with intent and uh, therefore uh, that's the only explanation I have. Well, concerning the shedding, these Polelli safety report reports 61 cases of suspicions um, with mothers and children who were vaccinated during the pregnancy. Uh, so far, so much on that. And the data is not being passed on. And for a long time, I tried to understand why the uh, army didn't say anything. Um, because they were talking a lot in May, and they really talked their heads off at the time. They uh, contradicted themselves. I have reported this here in detail. Um, so maybe they decided to shut up. Otherwise, um, they just ruined it all. And uh, from these 6,000 long COVID cases in, COVID in, in the army, when Beata Barna asked for the question, it turned out 363. Well, we, we estimated it. We all know what uh, model calculations are worth, we know from Neil Ferguson. So the first um, bad impression in the uh, hearings was how briefly the uh, military uh, representatives uh, pleaded. 
So that was only two ways. Either they knew that they had one or they knew game over because they had nothing to put up against us. And uh, I was really flattened when I got a screenshot from Focus this morning from you, 77, 6 uh, o'clock in the morning. Um, the verdict was uh, um, rejected. And um, that was before the verdict was actually made public. So these are things that shouldn't happen. And of course, um, the question is, how should we, what should we do with that result now? Uh, this is really, I thought for a long time, um, that may be the proceedings where at least parts <coughs> of the um, right of law could be reinstalled. It's worth taking the evidence <coughs> Um, I'm running out of ideas, really, and uh, I do see that we are set up the way we had to be set up. We got the experts in, even in court. We had people help us who know what they were talking about. <clears throat> I gave the input that Annette gave me. I've mentioned that. That's, of course, not only this one dossier. Um, I get uh, more expert and professional import from her. I got Karin Goskivats. She was one of the um, <clears throat> defendees against the um, mandatory vaccination for health staff. On measles, I got a research on that in Italy, where proactively um, they looked for um, adverse effects uh, of measles vaccinations, and they found a lot. That means if you look for things, you find things. Which, is, which means that PII does not look for it and uh, because they don't want to have them. <clears throat> so, as a legal person, I would have gone blank here. Uh, and we set ourselves up to get the input from the experts to cover that, and uh, that we networked, that we uh, used that um, if we couldn't do it for ourselves. If that's not enough, then um, I simply do not, not want know what to do next. And really have to say, if the people are unhappy with politics, as we are subjected to, I have to say, it's not only Corona's other areas of politics as well. And I see what passivity people go to the um, uh, uh, running for office, which I put in there, I can say um, we can only get a change in this country if people get off their couches to the streets and try to implement the change in their environment. Uh, just a few active people won't do it. I draw the confirmation uh, from this to not uh, go to any rally anymore. I thought we could motivate people with that. And I said, well, if what we have here is not enough for people to start and take action themselves, um, I'm out. I don't want to see the next measures in autumn. I don't want to wear masks. I don't want tests. I don't want all that. <clears throat> then they should get up themselves. 
if after two years of pressure that hasn't been enough, then I think it's impossible to motivate people. It's simple, simply the wrong signal that there is a savior coming. Nobody's going to be that savior, not the people who are in opposition against the uh, corona measures, even if they're popular and prominent. <clears throat> I think the audience here um, has to take that uh, into consideration. I can only encourage everybody listening now to take action yourselves. The reality that we want to go into is that everybody has to take responsibility for themselves and not leave it to others. We have seen what this leads to. We have a paternalistic state which takes health protection as a uh, goal which we can't believe that they follow uh, because otherwise the authorities wouldn't behave as they do. Thank you very much, Martin. That was great what you just said. That's this is so crucial. It's so crucial that you stop with this political correct uh, blah, 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 and make clear this is not about health. On the contrary, if you see the results of these so-called vaccinations, maybe not everybody, but the stakeholders surely intend. We have looked at that eugenics thematics that it is about population reduction or at least damaging thing massively. You could uh, do that harmfully uh, and say it's only um, a, a mistake. Uh, if I look at the overall picture, it isn't. It's intent. Then it can, uh, if you look at uh, you know what the state has in mind, uh, we are being watched by the state security. I don't know if the agents... Um, of um, the Secret Service was present in the courtroom. And then, of course, there's conspiracy theories. But in organizations such as these, it is, of course, part of it that they don't uh, show their ident true identity. And the problem is that the government dares uh, to simply uh, Brandage, brandage these people as, as those that are against the Constitution simply because they don't follow their own logic and thinking. Um, I think part of uh, a democracy is that uh, governments are exchangeable, but that uh, change of government is only possible if you have a free discourse and that you can criticize the wrongdoings of the governments, to criticize their activities, um, and that they that you say that they have committed errors. And if that is not the case, then the Constitution is not in danger by those that criticize them, but those uh, that are trying to perpetuate their power. And I can only say that people, we have to understand if we want to have a livable life that we need to fight for it in an active fashion. And the most important appeal, of course, is we do it in a peaceful way as not to give them any arguments to repress us. So the important aspect of uh, a successful protest is that we are peaceful. And that uh, links into what Niels Melzer said in this very quick. He was surely visibly shattered, asking where did we get uh, that those who point out these misdoings and that these people are prosecuted. And it's very important that the public understands that each one of us, of course, uh, is on the ground of the Constitution, that we stand up for democracy and rule of law. And that means also that we fight those who try to do away with that. 
The typical aspect of a democracy is that there is opposition. And if you try to eradicate uh, opposition, then you're not a Democrat. Quite right. We have to learn to take discourse. We got uh, into a discussion, uh, into a, a culture where people feel personally attacked if we uh, speak against them. And that's what we have to do, get back to. Otherwise, we'll never get to a climate of discussion, which is uh, open. There's a lot of repair work to do in uh, society here. And uh, well, well, I was asked, how, how can you do that if you have two opposing bands? Uh, how can you make it possible that they can talk again? And Rainer, you forwarded the mail to me um, and the, the, where the question was, how do you do that? And it has to do with communication. And it has to do with the communication where the authors uh, of content are not being shown. So they're just, you know, having some facts projected on the wall. This is one side, this is the other side. They contradict each other. Then you have to find arguments pro and con. And then afterwards, as a group, you try to find the truth. So there are these uh, uh, discussion techniques that you can avail yourself of in order to make sure uh, that you get out of this rut of being in f in favor or against something. Um, you can do that. You can use these techniques, but only if people are willing to embrace them and uh, where they then speak as human beings. And you can do that in smaller groups <clears throat> in uh, smaller regions. And then you have to agree on certain techniques that are non-confrontational. I, I wish it would happen uh, in politics that you <clears throat> have structures of finding the objectives in order to get away from this polarization and that you're stuck in a rut. So how can you bring it about that those who need help actually get the help? And how can you make sure that we all live safely and that we're not afraid of people who wish us ill? and that we have enough to eat. How do we do that? How do we do that? How can we as responsible citizens secure these aspects? And to discuss about this, the, these points um, as a group, apparently everybody wants to. And then you have to see how you can bring that about. We have had this discussion a couple of times on truth and so on, I think last time as well. I think the difficulty is that we don't have uh, opposing groups by two views um, based on some kind of real uh, reality. <clears throat> but uh, we see this especially in this uh, ruling. We presented scientific evidence and the other side simply says, we don't care. I have a political uh, agenda to follow and full stop. So I don't see any space for that to be developing. There are conflicts of interest. Everybody wants to be healthy. That is no conflict of interest. Uh, it is a conflict of faith. Who, who do you believe? Do you believe the media, the government? Well, 
uh, it's worse. It's much worse. And that's why I doubt whether these mechanisms, which in normal, in inverted commas, arguments uh, apply, would work here with two somehow reasons, reasoned arguments and opinions which have a realistic background. That's why I doubt whether that can work here. In the end, this is about a large part, a completely full-scale loss of confidence, which is not just a loss of confidence, but which lead to loss of life and health, or even the destruction of companies. And this is where I do think this is a hurdle that can't be overcome, if, at least I can't, if uh, we see the opportunities that we have. How can it all be solved? One is a discussion, maybe a a truth commission in South Africa, um, quite a tough thing as well if you have to talk to murderers. Um, I don't think we're beyond that point. I think a solution has to be different. This solution will surely, and I do fear that uh, it'll lead to the responsible actors not being ruled by the court. Um, but by the rise of the people, the rising of the people and a higher force that will correct this. I don't think we'll get there by discussion. I think the trust is completely lost. you misunderstood me on this one. <laughs> I'm not talking about the discrepancies that you have between government and, and, and those that uh, do us ill and those who betray us. But uh, I'm talking about the structure that in spite of these um, criminals, we can survive, and uh, you have you have people who believe, and those who stop believing what the government is saying, and uh, there are people who are more skeptical now. But in the small area where we want to survive, you have to get together and see, you know, how do you teach our children? How do we help each other in case somebody gets sick? And there. These things, these ideological barriers, uh, you know, that are hammered into our brain, uh, those are the things that we need to overcome, and that we can do in a small community. Sorry, I didn't want to, to, to talk, to say, speak about, you know, talking to criminals. Well, that may work as long as these people um, have not. Uh done criminal actions and denounces that um, have to talk to that. Uh, um, there's people who um, have no idea and uh, people who are, are um, not culpable, you have to talk to them, of course. Maybe there will be some. Yeah, those who benefit from fear, those who know everything and make money on that. That's terrible people, terrible people. And I think of many, many doctors, uh, those who open their, their test centers, the so-called test centers, horrible. Well, Wolfgang, I think, um, uh, sorry, they are not going to get my money anymore, and many others are going to do that. Why should I go there? And uh, I should go where the people acted humanely, and they'll get the return. Just that all the magazines and the journals are not read anymore. Uh, so you can't look at this if you have understood what's going on without uh, getting crazy. I think they'll do away with themselves. I, I concur. All right. 
Martin, if you still hear me uh, and you, Ulrike, these were very, very valuable insights uh, to see what is actually happening um, behind the stage uh, in these proceedings. And uh, that's something you can only tell if you really have uh, detailed insight knowledge from the proceedings. Without that, you simply cannot understand what is happening. Apparently, somebody's got uh, the mic open still. So, it was a bad decision, a terrible decision, just like uh, the title of the book uh, by Ingo Müller, where it says, Horrible Lawyers. I have one question, if I may. What's next? Can we uh, legally appeal they let it open that similar to the constitutional court at that point in time and so on maybe it'd be different that we pick up on that and say now the situation is different saying okay then we have to reassess this for this point in time although it was at this point in time i don't know and all the evidence related to now Yeah, there's also the court for human rights violations. Well, if I want to go there, I have to go to the constitutional court, and we know what that's it. I have to stick to the legal terms. The only way that I would have is the so-called appeal complaint. Um, but I do wonder if um, the reason has nothing to do with the evidence. Is it a question of a legal hearing? I have to think about that. But the question is, do we have the power? I have to say, I'm tired. I don't, I don't know um, what, who, who should write that. Uh, how much power can be put into that? No, no, Martin, it doesn't make any sense. And, and, and if you're flattened out now and you're completely down, uh, well, we had the fourth lawyer. He would have liked to have uh, contributed, but he said, you know, he just can't take it anymore and he has to digest all of that first. But uh, anybody who actually puts energy into that is wasting his or her energy because the simple fact that um, you know, all, all of the evidence uh, was not used in the finding of the court ruling. They will always get back onto 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 some formalities. Uh, they said they didn't have enough witnesses, things like that. So they they simply ignored many of the things that we put forth. That has nothing to do. Um, so really, forget it. Uh, you will uh, waste your energy on that. So. Maybe better to put that energy into a generally understandable publication uh, on that process so that the people can know what they can expect from court so that they know how the courts work uh, presently. I think this is something that we should talk about that should be published. Maybe that will do some help. Maybe it'll get one or the other person to start thinking. Well, basically, all of that experience of the corona justice should be um, portrayed in the few proceedings that I was involved in, uh, where I still had the hope that uh, I could clarify some of fundamental questions. But to tell you the truth, waste of time.
Yeah, same here. Same here. That should be done, of course. All that should be reviewed, and uh, there will be a book uh, similar to the horrible journal uh, uh, lawyers. It's too early for the book. I'll do that uh, with a, a historical d distance. I will write that, but uh, in a while. I think what is more important, uh, if if I had time for such a project of publishing a book, I would be interested. I would be more interested in the role of the media, because uh, we are in the same environment, medial environment. Uh, and it's difficult to, to, to learn how to detect propaganda. And all the things they have been telling us since 2020 um, makes me rethink about propaganda on the homepage of the German Institute uh, for Political Education. Propaganda means that you're trying to get beyond uh, rational arguments, but try to appeal directly to the emotions and, and make sure that the person that you're addressing does not use his uh, thinking faculties. And uh, basically, they try to imbibe feelings of fear and culpability and guilt. Sorry, my cursor keeps uh, hitting the microphone. My, my, my cursor is not working here because I'm in the outdoors. I hope you still see me. And what was in the panic paper? It is so. Uh, it's always the uh, the the ur angst uh, to be afraid of uh, uh, suffocating and that you sh should feel guilty when your mom suffocates. Exactly. So we stop thinking by simply uh, uh, saying that the others uh, simply don't have any mental faculties and only you are the one who has the argument. And, and you know, they're being told that the opinion that they take on from others may be the right one. I mean, that's exactly the way propaganda works. That is it. That's it. And this works even with people where you figured that they were intelligent people. I think that we underestimate, and maybe I'm one of those two, uh, you know, on the other side of, of this barrier, you have super professionals, and uh, they are superior because they are so well prepared for what they're doing. and. The stuff that uh, Lauterbach keeps saying that uh, you know doesn't make any sense, and two days later he has to to do the uh, has to say the opposite. He he doesn't do that uh, by chance. He does it on purpose. So it's not that they just put somebody there who has difficulties uh, thinking in a straight thing in a straight line, but rather um, it's propaganda. When uh, you know you want to make sure people stop thinking, well, you just have to confuse them. If you look at some of the films that were made at the beginning of Corona, uh, you know, some things are shown, others are being said. So when you had the, manifest, uh, the demonstration on November 18th, well, in fact, in the main news, they they, 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 you know, they were peaceful demonstrators, but what they showed was uh, uh, water cannons. 
So there is also this discrepancy between what is being said and what is being shown. So all of that is done in order to, to confuse people. Very interesting, very interesting, all the things that has, have been uh, shown. All of that we just wanted to share with you at this point of time. And once, you know, uh, people have been convinced, it's difficult to unconvince them. There is a project of the offers for technology consequence monitoring who monitor technical developments in society and um, they have been asked to follow up on a number of things, the so-called effects of the so-called pandemics and there are critical people working in there and I used to work together with them. I know that there are still critical people there but um, they are under massive political pressure and the majorities in the Bundestag are well known, but it's interesting. They saw a survey, maybe I can share this here, what the outcome was. Can you see my screen? Now we can. It's winners and losers of the pandemics. These ones are the winners at the top. And that's where we see online trade, hygiene, article makers, politics, doctors, pharma industry. This is what the people say, but also the federal government, but also in the uh, losers the federal government is. So we see the different sides here, but quite clear, the poor, the uh, care needers, small companies. Um, this is apparently seen by the population. It's interesting, I can share this, it's interesting to see um, if you see what they want to look at. There's interesting topics in that the question is whether we can involve in that or um, whether that will lead to uh, people being blocked. Probably it will by the political parties anyway. Well, it could be that, you know, like with the expert opinion that was written, that uh, was just published that uh, and somehow this is a consensual paper in some way uh, and they're trying to give you some kind of explanation for things that they're planning on doing so i think it's not very realistic that this is going to be a good one well we have a new guest right now right here gabi weber she's here uh in the studio and she doesn't have so much time, uh, therefore I think uh, uh, we should give her the floor. We, I think we have uh, actually covered the previous points. We could uh, come back to it. We do know that there is many, many more disturbing evidence for the result of this uh, uh, hearings being uh, a pre-planned and pre-fabricated outcome. We'll come back to that later. At this point, thank you, uh, Ulrike, Martin and Werner. Without your insights, all of this would be very difficult to understand. Now we can see the extent of this horrible result. Uh, to full extent, I have to say clearly, I do expect this decision um, 
to uh, is uh, will make the German army unable to defend the country because those who don't want to follow will leave the services and the others who get the jab will be unable to fight. So, um, thank you, uh, you three. Okay. All right, right here, it's, uh, we have uh, Gabi with us. And now uh, she's been living in Uruguay for 17 years, and she has access to some of the files that the political endowments actually have locked up. Already started, uh, stated in 2020, in the aftermath of the trial for the liberation of the coal files before the Berlin Administrative Court, we're all disenfranchised, no legal recourse no rule of law, which is basically the same that we had earlier uh, in the discussion that we just had. And let's take a look at the subjects here. First of all, we'd like to talk about Uruguay with you. There's some interesting things that you can share with us. Um, which one would you like to start with? Well, the current situation in Uruguay is that there was a ruling with the last hearing yesterday, and I think that would be interesting for everybody to hear. Just to tell you, I've been there for 17 years. In 2002, I uh, went to the other side of the river, to Buenos Aires, and uh, that's where I live. I do films, and I um, looked at how Uruguay treated the pandemics and how pande uh, Argentina did that. I did films on that. We can come to that in a minute, and then I'll be happy to talk about my processes against the administrative scores, uh, against the um, Federal Intelligence Services, and so it's a very, very tiring proceedings. You know this, and um, I think you have to take it for the long run there. All right, then let's talk about Uruguay. We mentioned it earlier. The uh, suspended now the vaccination program for children under 13. Uh, they cannot be discriminated against uh, when they don't want to get the vaccination, the so-called vaccination. Maybe you can explain uh, the situation one more time. Yes. That was a um, proceedings against the administrative in the front of the administrative court in Montevideo. You have to understand a bit about Uruguay. It's a very small country located between Brazil and uh, Argentina, three and a half million people, quite democratic. There's regular um, votings of the people. People discuss many things there and are not so easily confused by or impressed by, by media. I've been living there for a long time. I was impressed by the democracy there. Uh, one of the courts was asked to rule a case. They asked Pfizer to, uh, and as far as I know uh, from the press, Pfizer didn't present anything, but the health ministry in Uruguay came up with a long list of so-called things which Pfizer had presented and the WHO had presented and brought that to the court. This is uh, something that didn't really lead to uh, the stop of the vaccinations, although the vaccinations, we have to know, 
it wasn't mandatory in Uruguay. Uru they never did a lockdown. Uruguay, and that's a conservative government at the moment, said there are constitutional concerns to stop the limit the rights of the citizens. People should decide for themselves and what to do. And what you also need to know is there were six vaccines and you could select what you wanted to take. It wasn't just Pfizer Moderna or AstraZeneca. Uh, but it was also Sputnik, the Russian stuff, and Sinopharm and Sinovac, Sinopharm, both Chinese vaccines, um, so-called uh, dead vaccines in my surroundings. I don't know anybody who um, complained about uh, adverse effects from Vazinopharm. When I'm asked in South America, why isn't that in the EU, Sinopharm? I can't comment. I don't know. We should ask the European Commission. However, coming back to the result, it, at the moment it has been ruled that children below the age of 13 should not be vaccinated. Quite a number of um, doctor associations and the government said they don't like this because now the vaccination has been stopped. The government is going to appeal to that in court. So we have to see how these things develop. In Uruguay, leaves of tourism and um, um, closing the borders for nearly a year um, actually made damage to the uh, economy. They couldn't keep it up. There was lots of pressure of that. And now uh, they have changed that. Many Argentinians are moving to Uruguay because that is a more liberal address of the problems. <clears throat> and so was there at any point uh, obligation to get vaccinated? No, there wasn't. At no point in time there was. Um, many questions haven't been answered. And I think it's quite positive. Um, it's a bit of a range of the European uh, newspapers, including the conservative ones. They printed it all out, at least on their online uh, presentations. So one could actually see all the uh, documents from both sides in the proceedings. For example, the question on the nanoparticles wasn't answered. The uh, contracts weren't presented with Pfizer and Moderna. That's what the judge had asked for. And the question on graphene was not answered either. So that is supposed to be part of the vaccine. I don't know if it still is. And the um, industry says, no, that was only the case in the beginning. So the government didn't supply anything new, but what the WHO of Pfizer put to the table, they just repeated on that and the judge wasn't happy with that. So the legal system, how, how, uh, let me ask a question like this, how independent is the legal system, are the judges in Uruguay? Well, you have to see it in comparison. 
of course, independency of judges, they live in the society, and of course they are uh, subjected to a certain pressure. But if I compare it to German administrative courts, for example, then they are relatively independent. I think the Uruguayan society, as it is a has a democratic tradition, wouldn't accept it that there is things that are not fulfilled. The Uruguayan legal system is surely more independent than the Brazilian or the Argentinian legal system. Is. I think there's more independence there without really getting 100% independence. And how how do the people uh, in the population at large accept this ruling? Well, I think people simply do what they want to do. And many have got the shots. Uh, Uruguay has a very old population because the young people usually go abroad to get a job. And uh, it's elderly people. And, of course, they were very intimidated in the beginning. And without uh, governmental instructions, they followed certain rules. They stayed at home, at least over the first weeks. And what is very positive in Uruguay, if I compare it to Argentina, for example, Argentina had two years of school closures. And that does not only affect the education level of the children, but people eat in the schools there. They get a hot lunch there in Uruguay. After six weeks, the government, together with the trade union, sat down and said, we can't uh, simply leave the kids at home. They don't all have uh, access to internet and so on in the schools, so it's... Uh, um, a drop back which they can't catch up and they all played along they made the school classes a bit smaller they um relocated rescheduled the classes but they started schooling again after six weeks and people are more informed uh, and they're not as hysteric either um i talked to doctors for truth uh, which is a group <clears throat> who would be uh, denounced here, and uh, they have, they're not uh, um, unqualified, they're asked for their opinion, that's what you read in the papers. Uh, of course, these are doctors as well, Evodakis as well, and um, it's a different approach, and uh, it is not that they sent the WHO to hell, but it's just they are not as hysteric, less repressive with all that topic. Which, of course, may also be due to the fact that with these elderly people, um, it's not so difficult to convince them because uh, they then voluntarily subjected themselves to vaccination. Are there any vaccination data? Yes. I don't know the percentage, but that's quite high. And... There is no, as far as I have taken from the press, no um, adverse effect that led to death. As I said, half of the vaccines came from Russia or China. And how bad was Corona? The problem is comparing it in my film, which you can see on YouTube, Uruguay has a little repressive addressing. And of course, they had cases of death. The virus exists. People 
captured and people who have predisposition can die of it, obviously. But if you compare the percentage with Argentina, who were very repressive with pandemic, then you can say the virus does what it wants. It didn't take any effect. All these repressive measures uh, caused extreme damage in the population, especially with the children, in um, in-house violence, domestic violence, and uh, in economy. I can't recognize the country anymore. When 2020, I wasn't there six months, for six months, when I came back, it had dropped beyond, beyond recognition. Argentina is not a poor country. Uh, to see how we have families living on roads, on the streets, uh, five restaurants, uh, four out of five have closed, and it has jobs connected, uh, small businesses. Of course, the big ones, they are online uh, businesses, one, but Argentina was in crisis, and after pandemics, that did off with them. And this is um, the addressing it. It's not the virus. It is the way how to deal with it. I was in Argentina in 2001 and I was completely depressed when I saw that. Uh, that was that crisis 2001-2002, the uh, bankruptcy. Argentina is bankrupt. They've got this uh, funny agreement with the IWF. I don't think that they will be able to fulfill that. At the moment, Argentina and raw material producing countries have got some air because due to the Ukraine crisis, prices are climbing for soya, wheat and minerals as meat and meat. That gives Argentina a little room to maneuver. I don't So why is that, that uh, South America did not follow the policy of uh, putting sanctions onto Russia? Different reasons. Let's take Brazil with that very reactionary President Bolsonaro. He, Brazil has a massive agricultural industry and Bolsonaro, or the people who have their hands on the industry, they do know without Russian fertilizer, they cannot carry on with their agriculture. Directly after the conflict in Ukraine broke up, he flew to Mos Moscow and uh, uh, gave uh, reached out hands to Putin and said he won't be in the sanctions. And uh, that's the right wing now. There's left wings as well who don't follow this either. You have to remind uh, people that uh, um, many South African, uh, South American countries have been victims of uh, U.S. interventions. So if U.S. pretends um, to be the standards of human rights, um, um, not a, not a single person, the last illegitimate person in the in South America would believe that. They know the foreign policy U.S. does. They have been through what happens to the countries. They are highly in debt. They have no way, if they follow the recipe of the international uh, monetary funds, which is what they have been doing for decades, 
it makes them poorer and poorer and poorer. Just imagine Argentina is a massive country, four and a half thousand kilometers all the way through, huge areas of fertile land that's only comparable to Ukraine, but they are poor. And the fertile land is in the hands of US funds, and they are listed at Wall Street. So it is an economic model which does no good for the normal people. Well, maybe now it makes sense if you consider that, what can you say? Uh, you know, after the coups and military coups that uh, were backed by the US in Latin America, uh, now this hits them back with a boomerang because now it's Brazil and other countries uh, that say, hey, this is ours anyhow. Uh, we will simply kick out the American corporations. Isn't that, wouldn't that be the solution? Yes, but of course in South America there is a political elite which uh, is not after solutions, they just uh, get along from day to day. And some have a more reactionary discourse, some are a bit more progressive, and some even are left hand, left wing. But a bottom line, if you go there and look at what's going on, you'll see that the uh, room for to maneuver is very little. I was to Peru doing two films there. Um, last year, there was a very left government. They did uh, um, they ran for office talking about the nationalization or, um, of the mineralist, now Castillo's president. He was elected and for a year he's been following neoliberal uh, Catholic politic. Now he even wants to um, change the women ministry to a family ministry. It's all quite gruesome. And I think the whole model of a representative democracy, I think that is what we have to look at, um, is in a deep crisis of trust. It is not coming up with any solutions. And I think it'll only lead to further uh, improvement of broad ranges of populations. And these countries are very poor already. Uh, the people are elected, um, they do the opposite of what their economic for. Colombia has just uh, seen a change of government. I wish that left person, he was in the guerrilla, he's surely a smart guy, and I'm sure that I'm sure he wants to change things. We'll have to see what is going to be the outcome. It's difficult. Does he want to do a change? Or is he just uh, coming up with hollow phrases to get the job and, let, and drops the mask and says that he is a puppet on strings, as we see in many cases, and you don't have the impression that people are really convinced by any kind of politics that they want to fight against resistance with. Um, saying, okay, let's look at the IWF, it's an explo exploitation um, uh, uh, interpretation and um, endeavor, and uh, they come up with a different policy. That doesn't seem to be the case, but people just uh, take their stand and um, can't be stick to the rules. Well, I think that these, this uh, political caste made of, of uh, puppets 
um, are, of course, also very much interested in their own privileges, you know, now that they're in parliament and that they're in power. And you have to look at it time and again. Like I said, uh, I was just talking about the Colombian president. Colombian, Colombia has just gone through a very long civil war. And <coughs> the U.S. Army was involved. They had bases, military bases there. <coughs> So that is quite a big thing that he's got ahead of him. And it's not only, you know, I'll do a little bit of uh, cosmetics and socialist policies, but, you know, what are his, uh, I mean, what is his leeway? What can he do? South America has never been man managed to, to, to unite and to form the United States of South America. That was always the dream of Simon Bolivar at the beginning of the 19th century, to have a United States of Latin America. But it has never occurred. At the end of the day, when it comes down to it, everybody thinks of themselves. And, you know, they have a free trade agreement with the U.S. or with Canada. And still, you have to see that the role of the U.S. in South America, and mostly in the third world, has changed. It has It's different now. They don't really have a case or a project for South America. Whoever has a project there is the People's Republic of China. They are investing. They are uh, basically buying all the products in most of the countries. Um, and it's not a political uh, project of emancipation, but you can talk to them. When you um, talk to them, you can change contracts. When they see that there is resistance, they go back and they modify their contracts. But uh, the states have nothing to offer. Just now in Los Angeles, we had the meeting of the Organization of the American States and Biden invited, but hardly anybody came. Uh, you know, they, they sent ministers or secretaries of state and said, you, you talk to these guys. The Mexican president decided not to go. You know, they said, you know, we have to take away the Statue of Liberty in the United States because it has nothing to do with liberty anymore. So they talk a lot. Talk, talk, talk. But the people want to hear that. And there is a need for change. There is not uh, the movement that they're moving towards the right. No, no. They are electing... Okay, Brazil was was a weak point in my argument, I admit, but uh, Lula may come back and people want change. That's obvious. And there is very little leeway within the current project. There is a proposition from China, from Russia, and uh, this is on the economic level. They want to get away from the de pegging, being pegged to the dollar. And uh, they don't want to have it as an international global currency. So far, the entire uh, international trade is uh, calculated in US dollars, which of course is a great advantage for the states because they're, they're printing that stuff. But the People's Republic of China, uh, what they want is they have already done some preparatory work in Shanghai. They want to have uh, a number of currencies uh, to break the power 
of the dollar. The Americans are very much afraid of that, especially behind this idea. There is a odd alliance of states that normally don't have anything to do with each other. It's not only China and Russia, but it's also Saudi Arabia is in that group. And there's Turkey, there's India, there's Pakistan. So in that array of countries, well, they're all basically agreed. I'm not quite sure, by the way, the role of Bolsonaro and Lula on the other side. We have a very close cooperation, amongst other, with a former Portuguese judge, uh, part of whose family lives in Brazil. And he says that Bolsonaro is um, apparently um, blocked by those people who decide who becomes a con uh, president. At the last Bilderberger conference, I think, Washington DC, he, he wasn't even invited. So that um, it's uh, the judge uh, Rui de Castro is his name. He says, you can assume that this Bilderberger guys are going to want to put up Lula again. And all, all of his campaign, he's quite a corrupt guy. His campaign will be built on being saying, if you elect me this time, I'm not going to steal from you. Maybe uh, that's a bit overdoing it, but I'm not quite sure who of the two is the right guy or who is the lesser evil and uh, is less attached to the strings of the people uh, pulling the um, strings behind the scenes. Myself. I'm not so sure myself. It's very complicated for sure. Sure, Bolsonaro, just like Trump, uh, they are sort of the underdog. They d didn't come out of that political league, the regular political caste, but uh, they came um, f from the lateral approach. But, but we know Lula. Lula and his PT, his Workers' Party, for the, during the Lula years, they were in government. And uh, even then, there were people who were uh, uh, protesting, but uh, they were, of course, paid for by the uh, right. But then, in Germany, if I if I tell this in uh, in Germany, in my experience, is people don't really want to hear that because it's easier to have a world clearly defined as the good and the bad and black and white. But it's not like that. So. Uh, under Lula government, there was a lot of corruption as well. Petrobras, for example, the uh, oil company. I mean, that was part of their um, prey, and they made sure that all of them were able to profit and benefit from that. I criticize Lula a lot. He did not bring about any changes in the economy or in the Brazilian society. We know that uh, uh, Brazil is governed by one media group, Global TV, but uh, I'm not allowed to say that now, but, uh, but uh, hang on. Well, basically, I mean, that is the public opinion, and everybody knows that there should have been light steps uh, towards having open public media or, or public radio and so on. But that did not occur under Lula. And 
they didn't even mention it as a problem. He just said, hey, I'm the president. These guys are nice to me. Uh, things are not going to change. But it did not remain the same. So he didn't do anything to fight the bank, the power of the banks. Uh, and in the agricultural model, he didn't change very much. Uh, the use of pesticides, horrible. Uh, and this uh, Bolsa Familia, so it's a small amount of money that was dished out to the poor, which of course is important when you're poor, but Bolsonaro um, uh, didn't, didn't uh, slash that. But uh, now that the elections are approaching, he is reinstating that business so that they get uh, freebies from the government. And uh, now Lula is, is, is older now, um, and he has a right-wing vice president. I mean, this is his candidate for vice president is, is from the right. That against is speaking against Lula too. And I would have liked if uh, an, a new leader of the left would have emerged <coughs> rather than Lula, who doesn't really have any new ideas. As to Ukraine, he had a clear opinion. He said, uh, he, he doesn't like Zelensky at all, uh, and he thinks he's just as responsible as Putin, and Lula has a past. I know he was a fighting worker during a dictatorship, in times of a dictatorship. Um, and most politicians have never been actually been, you know, fighting in the street. Mm. So, I mean, he is authentic in that sense, but, uh, you know, I do respect him. I respect his biography. I respect him for what he has done, but people have to find the way to say, okay, look, there are others. And that unfortunately is not the case in Brazil. Well, still one may wonder how this is very extensive. Uh, could be certain people who have simply been built up. Lula as this freedom fighter. How can we? How sure can we be that this is not simply a historical figure that has been set up and uh, to place someone like that there, and you get someone like them to government and he doesn't do anything? Well. Lula is the only one who can win against Bolsonaro. I mean, the polls are pretty obvious. What's going to change? You know, it will change. Things will change. Uh, Bolsonaro said that um, whatever is about indigenous people and the rainforest, he says, you know, it's a pity that the Portuguese didn't kill them all off. I mean, that's what he really said. So Lula did very little to protect the rainforest and the indigenous population. And Bolsonaro, you know, he, he made it even worse. So it's a social democratic solution to do a little bit a little bit of uh, cosmetics but they will not bring about a real solution um, and in times when chavez was still in power in venezuela there was the idea that the mercosur could be expanded to a regional continental unit to have one latin american market and the Brazilians never really wanted to play along because uh, they had their own model of development. And when it came to founding a Latin American uh, development bank, the Brazilians said, no, no thanks, not with us, we don't do that. And if that's going to change, I'm skeptical. But of course, hope dies at the very end. <laughs> Well, 
it's not about the fact that they will n never manage to become the United States of Latin America. It uh, looks like everything has to be done on a regional level anyhow, and each and every one can uh, decide for their own community what is right and what is wrong. And if they could network, uh, that would be a good solution rather than a huge conglomerate, which at the end of the day, you see that in the European Union, are almost paralyzed uh, and, and, and that leads to an abuse of power. And especially, you know, in the context of Corona, I mean, that was so obvious corruption left right and center abuse of power even extreme excesses especially with corona and therefore i think that when the south americans could remember that they have their own sovereignty and on the basis of their sovereignty they can decide which is right for their communities for their people uh, in their own educational systems in their own economic systems and so on, that would be the ideal solution. Uh, at the end of the day, um, at the end of the day, this is the only way that uh, we can not only decouple ourselves from those criminals, because they are criminals, but being able to find something new completely dislodged from them. Quite right. Actually, talking about Brazil, in Brazil, there's this strong environmental movement who would be able to take it to the regions and protect the people there. Still, you would have to make sure that on national level, you don't get someone who simply uh, wants to kill all the ingenious people and uh, or, or who doesn't prosecute those who do. But that's a question of the Brazilians. That's um, quite clear. We want to come back to German courts. <clears throat> Yes, since we already had uh, quite a, a few well, complaints. Well, I have been complaining for many, many years. I've been a journalist for many, many years. What does a journalist have to do? I have to get access to the files. And you have um, addressed this. Proof, truth, where is it? Of course, there is a truth, but you have to get it and fight for it. And for that, you need to see the files. And not only the window talks of the politicians, but the more secret the documents are, the closer we get to the truth. And I've been doing this for many, many years in different areas. I do this in Argentina. I tried that in Russia, but mainly, of course, in Germany um, against the administration's courts. And uh, that is a very, very tiring thing everywhere. Every time when I go in, I never have the impression that I am seeing an independent uh, institution who looks at the arguments of both sides and then decides based on wisdom saying this is right, that convinced me. No, um, they are partial and um, at least they have a contract in place. <clears throat> and it's not enough to say this because I talk of all the judges. They are there and that is their subjective impression that they um, keep problems of the back of the government. And for example, uh, I have four or five complaints in Strasbourg, the European Court of Human Rights. That's just to access files. If you want to go there, you have to start at the local court, uh, federal court, 
regional court, a federal court, and then you can go to Strasbourg, and then again it's years in the queue. So that is the um, refinements of right. Um, as a journalist, I need to have a time scale. Um, otherwise, I'll have to take my, with a wheelchair to the chalk to the to the um, court to to get the results. So this is simply uh, stopping the citizens from getting their rights. Um, I was here in the um, regional court. The w widow of Helmut Kohl. Um, uh, gave all that, uh, he gave all the files to Konrad Adenauer Foundation. <clears throat> it's federal files, and that is a private foundation. They can let you in or not. They can show you what they want or not. That's an different in the federal archive. Federal archive. So when Kohl the former chancellor wanted to write his memoirs with uh, Herbert Bertschwan, a professor. He called him and said, get me that stuff to my home. And they did that. And then these files, files of the federal chancellor's office, uh, ended up in the cellar of a private person. Nobody complained about that. Um, only when he died and the widow didn't want to know what to do with it, had the key to access that cellar. And uh, didn't, uh, only the federal newspaper wanted to get in and they got. I couldn't. So that is something that they call um, a breach of treasury and um, uh, the courts, I asked them oh, what this is, whether <coughs> they know that uh, criminal act. They said, well, we don't care. Um, they simply rejected my complaint. They legalize an illegal situation because they say, well, the legislator has the uh, has not included the obligation to re-get that. So if I get your wallet, do I have to get it back if they catch me? No, I don't. According to the federal court, I don't have to return your wallet if I get caught nicking it from you. That's the situation that we have. So it's very tedious. Um, you wondered, I uh, listened to what you talked uh, <coughs> before. So I wonder if it is worth the trouble. It costs money. It's uh, long documents. We have to pay the lawyers. I can only do that by crowdfunding. I think it's important, and I think it's important that you carry on with what you do here. Uh, somehow go for the long run. Maybe we will get a change, at least for you personally, it's important to carry on. Well, I saw that already when I was training to be a lawyer. Uh, I was, uh, I mean, the, the part, you know, public law, that was the most boring bit I ever experienced. And I'm firmly convinced that the constitutional courts, just like you said, basically are there to, to help the executive power. May I interrupt? In uh, the coalition contract of the current government, they say, we want to have maximum security and secrecy for only up to 30 years and have a commission that thinks about that. So this is about 
um, documents dating from the 50s, NATO, rearmament of Germany and so on. And I am taking the Federal Archives to court. Of course, I lost and again. And I wrote uh, an email to Claudia Roth. She is the ministry, Minister for Media and Culture. And she, therefore, is also the boss of the Federal Archive. I said, uh, uh, dear Madam Minister, you said in your contract that this is going to be limited to 30 years. Now, please do it with a simple instruction. It's only two lines to the Federal Archive saying that uh, they please open this. And then we're through with it. Nobody is, is angry. Everybody is happy. You fulfilled your promise and everybody's happy, supposedly. Of course, I received an email from some sub, 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 sub guy. Uh, they don't see any reason uh, to interfere. Well, that's the usual thing. If you communicate with them or not, uh, even, you know, if in China somebody falls off a bicycle, do, do they have to make a comment on that? I mean, that's how they react to these things. So they think that, uh, you know, they don't spend uh, uh, an ounce of energy on these proceedings with the soldiers. Uh, no, it has to be different. The soldiers have to stand up and say, we walk out. We won't do this anymore. And then eventually you will get the body count. And uh, that will, of course, uh, bring about the change. But the executive power, the administration, uh, they are so bold now, they dare uh, to basically become the factual uh, legislature uh, because uh, they are the real ones uh, because uh, they are you know they cannot really infiltrate it completely mr schwab said apparently they can but uh, in many parts of the world it's not quite like that uh, but especially in the us that's not possible that's why they try to circumvent it by uh, calling it you know an administrative uh, court and, and and basically circumvent legislation well the law that we had on the federal archives. They uh, had uh, a modification of the law back in 2017, and they said uh, they need to have a regulation by the administration. And that uh, is done in some back office by two bureaucrats. There is no parliamentarian present. They can do whatever they want, and then they will uh, to say this is the law, and the judges play along. Uh, they pretend this to be the law, which of course it is not. But like what you just said uh, a minute ago, unfortunately I make that negative experience that uh, the guy on the street simply is not interested in many of these things, because they say, you know, they're going to fuck with us anyhow. Sorry, excuse my French. Um, they, they, they won't get the truth anyhow. So why should I know? Why should I know? And uh, it's, you know, such a long time ago, uh, and that is a major problem, uh, and they would have to work on that as well. But what can you do? Well, you're right to a certain extent, but now, uh, you know, they are, you know, getting people knocking on their doors. And, uh, you know, if they want to physically approach us with these stories and they want to, 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 to inject us with things that we don't want, you can't just say, no, I'm going to close my eyes and just pretend this is not happening. It, it, it won't work anymore because you and I, we both know that um, 
you know, you also were very, very uh, strong uh, on the entire Eichmann theme. Uh, can you say a word or two about that? Oh, gee, you know, that was actually the very first uh, court proceeding uh, against the Secret Service of Germany. Uh, I received a lot of documents. They, um, I think it was 200 pages. Uh, which they consider to be extremely secret, top, top secret. So this was like uh, the overarching court of the uh, Constitutional Court. And, and they said, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. This is something we cannot actually give out to the public. And they added another 30 years, so 60 years. And now we're beyond 60 years now. Uh, so I wrote to them again. I said, look, 60 years are over. Please send me the files. And of the 200 pages, they sent me 180 and I looked at them and I said, how come they considered them to be so secret? Why was it so top secret back then? And they said, yeah, it was almost like holy, uh, you know, journalists uh, were put under pressure. They put pressure on journalists. They, they fed them wrong information. And uh, the lawyer of Adolf Eichmann, uh, you know, he was being paid by the BND, by the German Secret Service. But I mean, all of that, uh, you know, it was a bunch of nonsense, basically. And the 20 pages, more than 20, 60 years, uh, they still haven't given that to me. So I took them to court again. Let's see what's happening. So the Eichmann stuff was that back then, Adolf Eichmann not only went to Argentina just like that and went underground, but uh, he had immense help. Somebody obviously opened doors for him and made it possible for him to escape. Many of the Nazis uh, escaped to Argentina and other countries in Latin America. Uh, this is well uh, researched and, uh, you know, he had a different name at the beginning, but then he uh, used his real name. His children went to school using their re regular names. Uh, they were not all that secretive about it. And the documents, you know, it's basically a secret service for uh, foreign secret service. But since the very inception, since Glocke Adenauer, and also in the times after, basically, they were doing domestic secret service. And they looked at the opposition, the left, of course, but also SPD, the Social Democrats and the Liberals. So any kind of uh, uh, exposition, they always had people from the secret service present. They were very active. And uh, uh, and through Globke, this was passed on to Adenauer back then. And he used it, of course, in dealing with the political opposition. So all of this was completely illegal. And what I think, what is actually behind all of this uh, thematic aspect of Eichmann, because there are other stories that happened at the same time, and that was illegal United States uh, atomic tests, nuclear tests in southern Argentina. They tried out their stuff to prove that they can actually use atomic bombs uh, for civil purposes by building a canal. You can watch that in my film. It's all on YouTube. You can watch it. And that is the real reason. And you know, I looked through the stash of files from the BND and people who actually have better access than, than, than me. I talked to them and we all said, would be interesting to have information you know, that some crazy guys from the Pentagon were actually bombing around in in the world. And on the other side of the Andes, 
the crust broke open for more than a thousand kilometers. Nobody ever mentions that. And that would be so important to have that kind of information, but you don't get it. And the question is, do we need that kind of secret service, which uh, for reasons of the Constitution is questionable, but it's completely incapable. Plus, you know, it's extremely expensive. Sorry about that. I'm, I'm getting I'm getting really heat, head up on this. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Well, I completely agree. Nobody needs these services. Adenauer, I think, was quite happy that he could uh, get some dirty laundry um, on Willy Brandt and whoever. We all know these stories. How can they listen to the phones? They can read the letters. We all know that, and they have something that they can blackmail people with. The services are the same worldwide. Of course, they can do that, but really do something that would have been important, which is uh, information on these things, zero. <laughs> They're gatekeepers, apparently, and, uh, well, rottenness wherever you look. I think you had a time limit, which is reached now. Thank you. It's great. Uh, I think we had some lessons to take home. It's uh, rottenness wherever you see. Yes, but it's important to keep calm. And I know for sure what you say, it is tedious. Um, still, it is important to fight these things out in front of court, to document them forever. And at some point in time, we will see a change. Yes, I'm, co I'm convinced of that as well. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, very good. There are going to be changes, but only with a new system. And that's what we need to set up, and we will. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Thank you. Is Karen Kingston with us? <clears throat> Maybe not. She's just coming in. Oh, there you are. Hi. Sorry, I was in my slides. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. So let us reintroduce you. You're okay. a biotech analyst and med legal advisor with over 20 years of experience driving blockbuster commercialization efforts for medical devices and prescription therapies, owner of Veritage Strategies since 2014, and you were once a cardiovascular sales representative for the Northeast region of New York at Pfizer. Now, today we have a different topic. Um, but I, as far as the uh, first topic is concerned, I was going to ask you, what are the major takeaways from the first session in which you presented to us uh, some uh, pretty deep insights into the Pfizer trials and how these trials were really, um, well, a sham? Yeah, that's a great question. I have to go back and see what I presented. No, no, I don't. Don't bother. Don't bother. I'm so sorry. I mean, I, I can tell you know we're we're going to talk about 
things are really heating up around the globe. And I want to show documentations that shows the intelligence community's involvement in mm -hmm. the rollout of these um, bioweapons. Um, and it's just a top line document. I also want to show the payment um, method um, mechanisms so that you can prove RICO, you know, mm -hmm. to to employees. So I think that just because things are heating up, but I would say the key takeaways about the, the baby and toddler data that we're not going to get to today is there were 4,500 babies enrolled. And at the end of um, about the 24 week trial, there was uh, just 1,300 left. So uh, over 3,100 had uh, dropped out. What I, and discontinuation, according to the initial new drug application, IND, um, discontinuation or withdrawal could be entered by the clinical moderator, right, the, 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 the doctor or healthcare provider, and someone could withdraw because they didn't show up for a visit because of serious adverse events, hospitalization, or death. And it was up to the moderator, you know, or the, you know, the, um, the, the contract resource organization to enter the reason. And, but the buck stopped with the independent review board. So if Pfizer wasn't in the best interest for the FDA to know that a child did not show up for their last visit because they were dead, they could simply de delete, you know, reason for withdrawal unknown. So is there, is there concrete evidence that the reason why there's only 3,100, or rather, out of 4,500, 3,100 dropped out, is there reason to believe that they're dead? Yes. Whoa. There is. Um, because there's cases in the phase three data where they talk about a toddler who had a fever of over 104 degrees, uh, severe uh, epileptic fits, you know, seizures going on for days, other serious adverse events uh, in and out of the hospital. And uh, it states there that um, no final diagnosis was given. Hmm. So I suspect that the final diagnosis was death in that one case alone. Well, now, if that is the case, yes, that'll blow the lid out of uh, off of everything. If that is really the case, if that can be shown. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I can. Um, did you want to go straight to the baby data? It's not as it's not as clean as it was, but I can go straight to the baby data or I can show our intelligence community was the mastermind behind all of this. Uh, let's first take a closer look at the uh, baby data and then the okay. intelligence communities. Okay, okay, all right. Detective Kingston on the case. <laughs> okay, we'll go through the baby data. It's, um, I had several versions and I merged them together. I'm gonna go fast, but talk slowly in the beginning. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's so, good. Yes. Um, so on June 10th of 2021, last year, uh, there, uh, uh, Pfizer was ordered by the FDA to put together a summary of, um, you know, I'm working with the FDA, sorry, this is the FDA Biological um, Advisory Committee. Uh, they were asked to put together basically um, um, a, a reason for why uh, to treat uh, children. 
And it states very clearly uh, from the FDA's document, uh, depending on epidemiological trends, an adequately powered clinical endpoint efficacy trial with sufficient case accrual, so sufficient number of positive SARS-CoV-2 pediatric age groups may be very difficult, if not infeasible, which means impossible, to conduct. So they um, admit that children don't get SARS-CoV-2, which is why they were not going to conduct a trial based on infection. They were going to create a trial based on hijacking a child's immune system, overriding their very powerful, very balanced immune system, compromising it so that they produce antibodies. Um, so this is almost a confession that uh, they know children don't get the disease. They have to override their innate immune system, compromise it, and induce disease to prove that they'll have a reaction similar to an adult with not oh. such an uh, intact immune system. Furthermore, additional evidence that the children did not get it um, among all age groups is uh, this is the hospital, um, or sorry, this is the weekly case rate per 100,000. And you can see for babies and toddlers under four, um, between March of 2020 and October of 2021, the infection rate was 0.15% less than 1%. What we, we will see in the phase three trial data of this age group of babies under the age of four was that all of them were vaccinated and the average infection rate was 31% in the trial. The injections gave them the disease. There's no gray area. The only thing you can attribute in increase in hospitalizations of babies zero to four years of age, as well as any child under the age of 18 of age, the only correlation that you have is as vaccination rates increase throughout the United States, so does hospitalizations of children. The ones at greatest risk are babies under four. Why? Because of shedding. So as their adults, their parents and their grandparents get injected, these babies who I used to have a little baby, they're like little monkeys on you all the time on your body. <laughs> so there's a very high risk of shedding onto them and them getting infected. That is the only evidence that I have seen that correlates with hospitalization is as increased uh, adults, teenagers and children get injected, so does hospitalization. Now, and if this you talk about if you talk about those who were then not in, um, infected or rather uh, injected with the uh, um, experimental substance, and you're saying that only 0.15% were infected, does that mean tested positive uh, by way of a PCR test, or does it mean that they had clinical symptoms? Um, that's an excellent question, and I will have to take a look at this CDC data. I believe this CDC data could be either um, either PCR tests or a diagnostic that someone, a doctor or healthcare provider, declared they had um, they had uh, COVID nineteen or SARS CoV two uh, because this this goes between March. In October, yeah. and um, the during this time period, diagnosis was not dependent upon a positive PCR test. Uh -huh. So it's more than likely that it was not dependent on a positive PCR test, even. But do you think that they uh, that these babies had symptoms, and that a doctor then performed um, differential diagnostics in order to find out what caused the symptoms? 
Yes. I mean, I, I personally know someone to, whose baby was hospitalized during this time period mm -hmm. and they tested the baby something like 16 times over a period of six days in the hospital and they were never able to get a positive PCR test, but the baby was diagnosed with COVID. Wow. Yeah. The baby mm -hmm. had a uh, Kawasaki syndrome, which mm -hmm. often happens after a uh, influenza uh, infection, you know, uh -huh. that so doesn't it could have that. been influenza. Uh, it probably was influenza because there were only nine cases of influenza during that time period when there's normally about 30,000. So <laughs> just not my opinion. This is just what the CDC had to say during that time period. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the evidence builds up that these, this has been one giant lie after another. Um, and then I, I don't want to go into detail, but this is another documentation you can share with your experts that just shows that children don't have the same immune response as adults. The concept of uh, initiating or trying to create the same immune response in children as you get in adults is, is the concept of creating disease and causing autoimmune disease in children. So the whole concept in and of itself of vaccinating the children is, is based on inducing disease. Uh, and this, this study goes through it in great detail. Mm -hmm. um, Judy Mikovich would be an excellent expert to talk about this. And then it also states down here that obviously children, they don't, they rarely get uh, respiratory symptoms and they often are asymptomatic. So they don't, they just don't get infected. Mm -hmm. So let's go to the document. The document for babies six months to less than four years for Pfizer was submitted on June 15th, 2022. What's so alarming is that the authorization was given on June 17th of 2022. Uh, they're supposed to take 30 days to review the data. So that's um, a bit alarming. What people might find interesting is for the first time in the ingredients under the EUA submission from Pfizer on June 15th of 2022, it states that Comirnaty contains uh, the nucleoside modifier messenger RNA encoding the viral spike glycoprotein, the protein of SARS-CoV-2. But for the first time, they state that is formulated in lipid particles. So this is the first time that Pfizer has come forward and said, yes, there is lipid nanoparticle technology uh, in this um, injection. And the lipid nanoparticles are made from polyethylene glycol lipids, um, as well as uh, three other products, an ionized lipid, a phospholipid, um, pegylated lipid, and I'm blanking on the fourth one. Oh, cholesterol and cholesterol. Mm -hmm. So if you watch Sesame Street, and I'm not joking, if you watch Sesame Street, they explain to the children how they made the vaccine, which is the virus, look like fat in your body. So it looks like cholesterol. And they explain to the children, they make it look like fat so your body thinks it's friendly. So they basically, the best way to get educated about this, and I'll send you the link afterwards, Reiner, I'm not joking, is Sesame Street explains to the children the mechanism of action of these vaccines in a very uh, friendly way with not letting the children know that it's actually a, a lipid nanoparticle encapsulated bioweapon. And polyethylene glycol is a petroleum-based product that causes severe allergic reaction and is not to be used in human beings and injected into babies. So, um, so what's interesting too is that also in their EUA, they violate the FDA's law of, you know, you cannot move forward with a product that you know can cause severe harm or death in a child. Yet they confess on page 11, based on the VAERS data, 
in persons, which are children, months six months through four years of age, in theirs, there was product administered to patients of inappropriate age. But there was a serious adverse event reported. They should have never moved forward with trial. There was exposure via breast milk. We know that the five-month-old baby boy who was breastfed by his mother within 48 hours of her getting the second Pfizer shot died from thrombosis thrombocytopedia. He died from blood clots throughout his tiny little body, a very painful death. They know that through exposure, through shedding, children had pyrexia. That is a fever. That fever can be upwards of 104 disease, four degrees Celsius, 104 degrees Celsius, causing um, epilepsy and seizures. Um, they know it caused infection in babies uh, and toddlers through exposure. And there was off-label use, cough, headache, rash, and diarrhea. But what is in the VAERS database was a full-on stop to never move forward with this trial. Does that mean that they, at this point, of course, they hadn't started with the so-called vaccinations of these toddlers, basically, but yeah. uh, they did? In California, they started in injecting six-month-old babies. I have it on my Facebook channel. I will but send it to you. But this data, this data right here, is that yeah. the result of uh, shedding, of being exposed to breast milk? Of, um, of it's, vaccinated... the of, it's the result of shedding, but whether it's breast milk or body-to-body -body contact. Also, apparently, there was um, some parents who obviously pushed a pediatrician or a pediatrician who pushed wow. a parent who was injected as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but some of it is simply exposure, which is the shedding. Yeah. So, and they have started injecting babies in uh, San Diego County. Mm -hmm. So I can, I can send that to you. And um, there was an article in the Gateway Pundit saying that babies two to three years of age are now getting seizures. Well, I'll show you, there's multiple cases of seizures in this data. So, and they just started injecting them, you know, in the last few weeks. So the babies have only gotten their first dose of the three micrograms. They're supposed to get two more doses and they're already having seizures, which is not a surprise when you look at the data. So as we look at um, the data, uh, just the total number enrolled is actually 4,526. Mm -hmm. um, there's two different numbers. So then the total that completed the study was 1,424 post, one week post dose three. Um, post, to make it to the two month follow-up, this number dropped down to 1229. So it was a higher dropout. But the point is the infection rates here, you can see whether um, it's placebo or Pfizer, they're all in the 30%. The average infection rate is 31, 32%. Why is that? Because there was no placebo. What they did was grossly unethical. It's called a crossover study. So they had a placebo group that got saline solution for the first eight to 12 weeks. And then that, that study was unblinded and they were then given the vaccine. So a crossover study is typically done for something like a blood pressure medication or an allergy medication where you give one group a placebo or let's say in blood pressure beta blocker and another group you give the ACE inhibitor and you follow them for three months. Then you have a washout period for a few weeks and then you switch to see if there were environmental factors or if there's any difference in the efficacy. You mm -hmm. cannot wash out a gene editing technology. This is grossly unethical and you can't wash out a vaccine if it were a vaccine. 
but this is gene editing technology. You cannot wash them out. And what we'll see is the placebo group had a much lower survival rate, I'm gonna call it that, or success rate in following up because their third dose on average was given in between eight and 11 weeks after their second dose, where the treatment group had up to 20 or 24 weeks to get that third dose. So there was more time before they got that final, what appears to be a lethal injection. So there was no placebo. This is, um, this is injected first, injected second group. Mm -hmm. um, this is their, just their definition. Why, why does it say placebo though? Because it's a crossover. So if you have a crossover group, the placebo group would still be called, um, it would still be called the placebo group originally for the first okay, three months of trial. Mm -hmm. And then it's crossed over. So it should be called the crossover group. Yeah. So keep in mind, um, you know what it should be called? You're right. And let me see if it is called. It should be called the control group. But I believe yes. they they call it a placebo and in the in the document, unless I just um is this the baby study? Here's the baby study. No, they call it placebo, which is a misnomer. It should mm -hmm. be called control group. Mm -hmm. Because the control group is a crossover. Mm -hmm. I'm holding it right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's, uh, and I just picked up their, their vernacular from their, from their charts. Yeah. But the, yes, this should be called controlled. It is not placebo. Um, the, the only babies that didn't get injected were the ones whose parents took their children out of the trial, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so the COVID-19, the definition is just, uh, this is the typical definition, fever, cough, shortness of breath, et cetera. And then severe COVID is similar to um, the adults, uh, which is uh, oxygen level below uh, 93%, respiratory failure, uh, including uh, going on a ventilator, um, shock, uh, kidney, liver, or neurological dysfunction, intensive care unit admission, you know, emergency care unit admission or death. So these are severe cases of COVID. So what I wanted to point out was the babies um, who are six to 23 months, and this is the control group, right? So two months follow the third dose. This is what I found very confusing. They had, they had 68 babies that they said completed the study two months post dose three. So these babies were injected after about eight or 11 weeks. They were given one, two or three doses. Why I find that confusing is because one, one um, this is the one month follow-up visit. I thought this was the one week. I think it's the one week follow-up visit. You'll see that only three babies in this group made it to the one week follow-up visit. It's not one month, it's one week yet they counted 68, made it to the end of the trial. Were these babies diagnosed with COVID-19 and were some of their symptoms death? I don't know. It doesn't make sense how 68 made it to the end. And you can check the data from pages 13 and 24 and 26 yourself. I put it down there. So how did 68 babies make it two months post-dose three in the placebo crossover group? But then this is actually one week follow-up, I'm sorry. The one week follow-up, there's only three babies that made it. Hmm. It doesn't make sense. So there's fraud in their own numbers. They don't add up. And by the way, this isn't a, this is not atypical. This is actually quite common. 
um, that in the FDA submissions, someone may fudge some numbers to make them look better in the charts, mm -hmm. and then they don't actually add up with the data in the document. You can find this also in the John Hopkins University of 646,000 uh, adults in America who came down with COVID who either got Moderna, Pfizer, or no vaccine at all. You'll find the numbers don't add up. But that being said, the attrition rate for these babies was 344 to three at the end of, this is one week, follow the dose three, that's a 99% attrition rate that fell out. Uh, on okay. average, the crossover- the is, What does it mean? Is it that the, that the parents pulled the children out of the trial or is it that they died? Well, look, look as so you can, we'll go through cases, but you can see, mm -hmm. Just in this baby group, so uh, the 296 only followed up for their dose after getting injected was 14% fallout. Then it was 78% fallout after the second dose. And the third dose appears to be a lethal injection, which only 1% seem to have survived. But let's just take a look at uh, some of the cases. This, this explains in the uh, literature what I just showed you for the six to 23 month olds. So it says, six to 23 month olds randomized to placebo uh, prior to the protocol revision, which added the third primary series dose, unblinding, that means they were injected for 344 participants. Um, dose one, uh, open label, 296, uh, or sorry, 344, so 91% received dose one, 296, 79% received dose two, and then 77 participants who received dose three, but then only three um, uh, made it to the uh, one month follow-up. So they say three as 4%, but I don't know what the end value is. I use the end value as this number, the number that began injected. I don't know where they get 4% because three left out of 344 is 1%, not 4%. So again, they do funny math, it's not real math. So this is just the, what I showed you in a chart. What's important, uh, Reiner, is that they follow the, um, the IND submission. Uh, you'll see the first alphanumeric codes. Uh, this, this one ends in 007. The original one ends in 001. I'm sorry, I don't have that on here. Uh, but under the original IND, reasons for discontinuation or withdrawal that Pfizer submitted to the FDA could be death, um, adverse events and participant requests. So these are not normal reasons to discontinue or withdrawal. These are never acceptable reasons in a pediatric study in a healthy population. This should have never been accepted by the FDA as a reason for withdrawal in perfectly healthy babies, ever. And you can see down here, data collection and analysis for the independent review board as far as if someone withdraws, uh, for an approved or unapproved product, but this was approved, it's discretionary as to why they, if whether or not they want to disclose that. So this was a, this, this, let me go back. So even though it sounds as though maybe some of them had withdrawn voluntarily, the real reason may have been death. Yes, and the FDA said, if they die, you don't want to tell us that's okay. It's not okay. This, uh, this initial new drug application was not just illegal, it was criminal. It was criminal when the FDA approved it. It was illegal as well. So, and it violates all the laws. So let's talk about what happened to these children. Um, so for the babies up to uh, 24 months, um, it just says here, some of the babies had gastrointestinal illness. Um, that's common among this age group. Um, 
it says none of the serious adverse events in the group, the Pfizer group, were considered to by the study investigator, Pfizer, <laughs> or the FDA to be related to the vaccination, uh, given the time of onset of vaccination and plausible alternative etiology. So babies don't get multiple seizures and brain damage normally. We're going to go through some of those examples in here. But Pfizer and the FDA said, no, it's not because of the injection. So um, also these babies, the placebo group is not a placebo group. They were injected as well. They're the control group. They got bronchiolitis. They got the RSV uh, infection as well. So they came down with severe respiratory syndrome. Uh, they had vomiting, anaphylaxis, uh, gastroenteritis, uh, which is typical of the, um, the spike protein called the PEDV spike protein, which could be in here. Uh, tonsillitis, viral infection, pneumonia, respiratory distress, feeding intolerance, hypoglycemia, so they came down with diabetes, head injury, so babies were falling over, and burns. So here's an example of one of the babies, 21 months old, injected with the Pfizer after dose one. Um, the baby had anaphylaxis. Um, the FDA agrees that this was unrelated to the injection. How convenient. Well, is it correct? Do I remember correctly that the FDA accepted Pfizer as an independent reviewer? Yes, yes, and they did. So Pfizer made this. So Pfizer was the independent review board, and then in quote unquote good faith, Pfizer went to the FDA. Hey, we just want your second. We don't think this was related to the vaccine. We just want your second opinion on it. You know, don't you agree with us? Again, it's the casino owner that owns the security that's organized crime. If you don't agree with them, yeah, yeah you're yeah. in a lot of trouble. So the six month, another six month old baby had seizures and eye rolling that occurred two days after dose two, um, a respiratory tract infection, a temperature of 38 degrees Celsius. So again, that's over 104, I believe, or 102 degrees, 102 Fahrenheit. They were in the emergency room and admitted to the hospital for evaluation of the seizure with eye rolling. Um, they were perfectly healthy before. Uh, they had an electroencephalogram, so that's like an EKG for your brain, but I mean, like an EKG that's for your heart, but for your brain. Yeah. Um, so to see uh, if there was evidence of seizure activity, uh, there, there was, I believe. They were given uh, Tylenol or ibuprofen to lower, probably Tylenol to lower their, their fever. So the parent noticed a few uh, days of eye rolling per day, so they were going into seizures. Um, there was resolution of symptoms 17 days after onset. The participant was withdrawn from the study by parental request. Well, thank goodness for that, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. During follow-up in neurology clinic two months after, the final diagnosis was convulsions, not elsewhere classified. This baby has permanent brain injury and has six to 12 epileptic fits a day that will not resolve on their own. So um, it says here, um, I just want to read the bottom, prior to dose two, the uh, fever-induced seizure related to vaccination cannot be definitely excluded based on available information. So they're saying, well, we're not sure whether or not this is from the vaccine, but we're not counting it. Another 20-month-old baby was reported to have a serious adverse event of fever-induced convulsions and seizures 38 days post-dose one. So I'm sure this started before then. They had one, only one dose. It was attributed to ear inflammation and resolved the next day. Uh, the FDA agrees that this SAE was unrelated to 162B, to the, to the vaccine. 
Well, you know, Karen, what surprises me is that uh, we're seeing bloody footprints here. Why do they do that at all instead of just uh, not publishing this, not putting this into the report? It's so incredible. Um, I don't understand. I think um, many sociopaths enjoy giving partial truths, you know? And um, so at this point, I think they put this in the report. There's stuff in the phase three report too that's very alarming, like the teenager who fell over and, bro and broke his or her face. Uh, that was in the report. I think they put it out there uh, because as they said, don't worry about the science. It's very complicated. You can't understand it. Uh, so they believe the world is too stupid to understand yeah. these words. Obviously. Just, yeah. how they, just how they believe that the world is too stupid to understand that public health emergency of international concern is pronounced fake. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well. Yeah. Yeah, and actually it has the, the Pfizer P in it too. So that's good, right? It's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this, this, this talks about the two to four-year-olds, um, some of the, the SAEs that were not related to the vaccine, allegedly, are gastroenteritis, so upset stomach, a foreign body sensation, um, pustules, that's papilledema. Uh, that's also, um, oh, I can't remember the clinical term for it, but it's, the, it's what they're calling the monkeypox, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, epilepsy, um, fever-induced convulsions, and, uh, and inflammation of the lungs and the bronchial tubes. So here's an example of a baby, a four-year-old. How, how many percent, how many percent, 0.7% reported by 12 participants? I think that's a lot, actually. Yes, and this is, an under, this is a false number. You could probably multiply that number by 10. Huh. Yeah, this is all false data. They're just telling us some of it. But I mean, you just read these cases and I mean, I can't, can you imagine being the parent? Now, now listen to this. Actually, they talk about the monkeypox in this case. So there's a four-year-old baby, toddler, uh, who had a serious adverse event of fever. Pyrexia means fever and pain uh, in their extrem extremities. Um, oh gosh, I don't even know what 40 degrees Celsius is. That's well over 104 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. The baby um, had epilepticus, so that's seizures of, basically 12 or more seizures a day. Uh, so uh, very severe uh, disease, disability. Uh, day 18 after dose one, um, they also had um, hypoglycemia, so induced diabetes, um, which is very bizarre, but, but that's an autoimmune disease. Again, they induced autoimmune disease in these babies. Mm -hmm. And they withdrew from the study uh, before receiving dose two. Right, so this is this is recorded as a withdrawal. It's not recorded as a, a serious adverse event. Um, another baby, two years old, received had a fever-induced convulsion, so seizures. Twenty-one days post dose one, uh, it, it, they say it resolved the same day. But many of these, the, the you know, the parents report that the baby kept coming back. Um, it says that there's an unknown cause after evaluation in the emergency department. Well, I, I don't need to be a detective to tell you the cause was the biological weapon injected into the baby's body. Um, the participant received dose two three days later. I can't believe that. Wow. So the parent brought this poor baby back in to receive another dose and there were additional adverse events reported. Maybe one of them was death, Reiner. I don't know. 
Well, it says without additional adverse. It says without. Oh, it says without. I thought it said with. Oh, sorry, without additional mm -hmm. AEs reported. Oh, okay. Yes, but the baby. I mean, I don't, the baby was discontinued. I'm sure because it doesn't talk about what happened dose three, post dose mm -hmm. three. Um, a four-year-old baby recipient, family history of fever seizures. I don't know what that means when you, that doesn't make any sense to me. Experienced seizure-like activity 47 days after dose two. Uh, they went to the emergency department. Uh, the baby or the four-year-old received an influenza vaccine three days prior to the onset of symptoms. Uh, they were hospitalized. There were no seizures, further seizures noted. Um, an EEG showed abnormal results. So, that, I mean, an EEG, uh, the electronic encephalogram, would have shown permanent injury if it showed abnormal results. I, I highly doubt that these seizures just disappeared. A serious adverse event of epilepsy was reported and considered by the study investigator as unrelated to the vaccine, but possibly related to the flu vaccine. Mm -hmm. How convenient. <laughs> So another a baby six to 23 months of age. Um, I'm not sure if we went over this. Um, two more results of a severe allergic reaction in the babies. Full body rash. Hold on, did I go? Yeah, we've seen that one. That was the uh, yeah. I'm sorry, I was pushing. This is the one I wanted to say. I'm sorry. Did I go through this? The baby also had uh, the fever resolved on day seven, following appearance of non-paratic urticaria purpura. That's monkeypox. Mm -hmm. So that's the those that's that's what this baby had. So the monkeypox they they're confessing in here the monkeypox is from the vaccines. Yeah. So I'm trying to see if there's any. So they do state in here that they know the risks of the injection include myocarditis. Uh, they say there's rapid resolution um, with conservative management. That's just a bunch of hooey. There's no such thing as mild myocarditis. Your heart inflammation causes permanent damage to your heart. Uh, there, it doesn't resolve on its own. Uh, and if it's from autoimmune disease, like Fabre's disease, the, the prognosis is two years. Um, often myocarditis in young, healthy adults is, is five years, according to the American Heart Association. There's a large mm -hmm. percentage that have a, a life expectancy of five years. Mm -hmm. um, so they say the risk of, so mostly about the myocarditis and pericarditis in here. And then, um, this just kind of irked me. Um, I would love for Stephanie Seneff, uh, Professor or Dr. Stephanie Seneff, to write a re rebuttal to this. Uh, the FDA can't figure out the mechanism of action by which the vaccine could cause myocarditis and pericarditis, uh, where Dr. Seneff could give you. Um, uh, I know. I saw one way. of the papers, uh, and it's yeah. vaccine induced, obviously. Yeah. Um, I, I actually showed it in one of my presentations. Yeah. yeah. She's the right one to talk to. Yeah, so there's the polyethylene glycol, there's the spike protein, there's the immunogenicity diseases that are caused. Yeah, literally um, the, the 50 ways to kill a child, you know, myocarditis. It's, it's it, it caused by these vaccines. Um, so that's what I wanted to go over. And I just, um, just under the Food and Drug Consumer Protection Act. So what should have happened, um, this is section 312.14, um, I believe, or 312.41 the study should be stopped. So a clinical hold of phase one study under an initial new drug application can be stopped if the human subjects are or would be exposed to unreasonable and significant risk of illness or injury, yep. period. I don't mm -hmm. need to go. They broke every law under the Food and Drug Consumer Protection Act, but the IND was 
illegally and criminally approved and authorized by the FDA for these babies. There's no gray area. It's very important that we do stick to the facts, which is that on August 23rd of, um, it's not in here, sorry, on August 23rd of, uh, oh, it is here, on August 23rd of 20, uh, 21, the FDA did approve the vaccines. That is further evidence that this was an initial new drug application process, independent of the emergency use authorization. They have no immunity under an IND. Mm-hmm. There is case law and precedent for every child, every baby, and every adult that was in the phase one, two, and three trials, even those that took that were uh, in the trials outside of the United States, the ones in Argentina, South Africa, Germany, and Turkey, and Brazil. I believe those are the five countries. Uh, no, not Brazil. Argentina, South Africa, Turkey, and uh, Germany. Uh, they all have case law precedent against Pfizer for that trial for violation of the initial new drug application laws. Uh, There is insurance with the contract resource organizations and those lawsuits should start immediately if they have not already. There is precedent in the United States for injury during clinical trials. So I just wanted to say that, that makes sense. Okay. What about what? Let's let's take a look at the involvement of the intelligence communities. Okay, I'm going to go to that. So, what's interesting is I was looking for um, actually I was looking for a patent and uh, uh, for the spike protein, the two SP, uh, and um, I believe I found this in the Pfizer SEC filing. So there's like an other section in SEC filings, and that's the section that. They don't want anyone to pay attention to. Um, and uh, one of the exhibits is this agreement. So it's a patent licensure agreement, non-exclusive biological materials license agreement. This agreement is based on the patent license, non-exclusive agreement adopted by the US Public Health Services Technology Transfer Policy for use by components of the National Institutes of Health, the CDC and the Food and Drug Administration which are agencies of the public health system, services, sorry, within the Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. Goes on to say that the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Disease, the NIAID, which Dr. Fauci is head of, falls under the NIH. It says here the NIAID and Institute Center hereafter are referred to as the intelligence community. That's are you sure that are you sure that 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 that's what what it stands for? I see. I see. It stands for the intelligence community. <laughs> no, no, like that's that's what it stands for. I think this is just a an abbreviation, basically, for like what it's going to be referred to in the the uh, you know the um, the following text, like the legal text. I don't think that you can make from this. I see. You can say this means intelligence community. It, stand, it typically stands for the intelligence community. No, but this it makes reference to an institute or center. So it's like this combination. I think we would need to look at the, the whole document to understand what it really means. Well, go, well, here's the thing. The NIH, CDC, and FDA all report up into HHS. So why wouldn't this say that well, this should be... This doesn't make any sense. I mean, it should be it should be HHS. It no, but that's be a legal IC. definition. Definition. Maybe it just says you know they 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 use just some like as here like two capital letters and they make reference could, to that. Could be could be short for institute or center. Yeah. I see. 
Yeah, in, in general, through other documents, it stands for intelligence community. So let's just, we'll just, if it does stand for intelligence community, I just wanted to point something out that this is the intelligence community. And keep in mind that the, the Pentagon and the intelligence community have been using mRNA technology for decades. James Clapper in 2016 at MIT stated that uh, gene editing technology should be considered a bioweapon. So perhaps it's not, doesn't stand for intelligence agency, but we do know the intelligence agency has been working with mRNA technology and lipid, nano te lipid, nano lipid nanoparticle te technology for over a decade uh, mm -hmm. and for gene editing technology for decades, um, including CRISPR-Cas9, which is what mRNA is based on. So maybe it doesn't mean that, but I just wanted to point out that Avril Haines, you know, because, uh, you know, people are saying, well, would President Trump or President Biden have known this? Avril Haines is the head of the intelligence community. And I don't know if people know this, but every morning there's a debriefing with the uh, uh, president. And it's usually done by the director, um, uh, daily brief staff. And that includes um, that includes someone from the intelligence community community. Um, so that's just something I wanted to, to, to point out, but we'll go through, you could further investigate whether or not you believe IC stands for the intelligence community. Do you keep in mind again, that the DOD and DARPA have funded research in lipid nanoparticles and gene editing technologies as bioweapons. Uh, mm -hmm. so they do have a stake in the game. So I don't, you know, it's a hypothesis. Um, and IC is typically referred to as the intelligence community. I and think we would. Should, we, I, I don't believe it is. It means intelligence community, and I think okay. we should really look at the document itself. I mean, you know, okay. I'm sure there's involvement with uh, all kinds of of um, uh, of research, like also funded by DARPA and other places that maybe has yeah. reference to these kind of things. But I think we should really be careful, uh, like jumping to conclusions by, um, you know, this like the, the, well, it's yeah, a full document, and we then we just have to look it up you know this public i'm, I'm sure yeah. we can maybe you can just send us the or it has the the link down there and then we can just yeah, take I'll a send look you at all that. the slides and you can download it yeah yeah so but anyway you know we do know that they're involved with dirk dual use of research funds or you know it's kind of i know it's concerns but often there's overlap but so you can see geovax that this is with geovax so of all of the hhs nid nih and you know cdc is working with geovax on a licensing agreement Geovax is a holding company. I pulled this a while ago. Uh, they're on the NASDAQ. Uh, they have nine employees uh, for the holding company. They, own, they do less than $2 million in sales. The CEO is David Dodd. Geovax is owned by uh, Vanguard primarily as far as, um, or they have a, a significant holding in, in the company and Calvary Fund. I don't know who that is and Hudson Bay. So these are the owners of this publicly traded, um, it, it's, it, it's not a shell company. There's nine employees, they do $2 million. So um, this just goes through the background of the IC and the license agreement as follows. I just made it bigger so we could read it. Um, it says by assignment of rights from the IC employees and other investors, HHS on behalf of the government owns intellectual property rights claimed in any United States or foreign patent applications or patents corresponding to the assign, assign inventions. HHS also owns any tangible embodiments of these inventions actually reduced to practice by the IC, uh, regardless of whether patents or patent applications claiming the materials exist. Again, I don't know why they just don't call it HHS. I'm not sure why they need to come up with IC. I'm confused because CDC, NIH, and NIAID, FDA all report into HHS. So I think this is something definitely to investigate. 
The secretary of HHS, so Becerra has delegated to the IC authority. Um, so I, I don't know the IC authority, I don't know if that's Anthony Fauci to enter into this agreement uh, for the licensing of rights to these inventions. Um, the IC desires to transfer these inventions to the private sector through commercialization licenses to facilitate the commercial development of products for public use and benefit. So this was dated October 22nd, 2020. Um, and it's for vaccines and primers and boosters against SARS-CoV-2. This date is a red flag. So this date was the date for them to the, now allow licensing out uh, for uh, the payment of royalties on the use of the injections for all MR, uh, for, for SARS-CoV-2 vaccines, not just mRNA, but including Johnson & Johnson. Um, the reason why it's a red flag is because October 22nd, 2020 was the day that uh, Geovax, along with Pfizer and other uh, organizations, met with the FDA and they put out this presentation stating that they knew the injections would cause death, mm -hmm. pregnancy defects, myocarditis, and autoimmune disease. Again, these are alarming coincidences. Well, uh, this was what, October 21st of? October 22nd, 2020. Okay, yes. Yeah, Same well, we, uh, her, uh, Brian Artis told us about this and how there was this one slide which showed all of the adverse events which they expected um, and knew as certain to come once they started their um, vaccination drive and how this slide then uh, was only shown very briefly, but he, he I think he has a screenshot of it, um, which well, of course shows that they knew precisely what was gonna happen. Something I don't have to share with you, go to this link. This is an entire, so I sent this presentation out to the team, you know, like Dr. Artis and Tom Renz and stuff a, a while ago. And this is the full presentation. Mm -hmm. uh, what's important to note is that in this presentation, um, they talk about tracking serious adverse events and hospitalizations and diagnoses using ICD-10 and ICD-9 codes across seven large electronic health records, you know, including DMED, including CMS, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, including Blue Cross Blue Shield. So in this presentation, they also discuss how they do the passive or active surveillance. So our government knows um, within days whether or not someone was injected, whether or not they came down with coronavirus, whether they had a heart attack, whether they came down with cancer. Uh, so the requirement to report in an adverse event to the HHS is automated by the infrastructure that's in place. That's part of this presentation. So if you download the whole presentation, that's explained in there as well. Does that make sense? We're going to have to take a closer look. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So look at this whole presentation, but it, there's mm -hmm. automatic reporting through HHS services. Uh, mm -hmm. There's seven major databases that they discuss. So, um, and I don't have, I didn't pull every single, I, I don't have it in this presentation, but these are um, example patent applications and patent numbers of, of the technology that's part of the inoculations. So some of this is the mRNA sequences. Some of these are the S2P spike protein. Some of this is the lipid nanoparticle technology. So, um, these are all of the different patents across all of the different um, territories, you know, and nations that Geovax now has the right to create royalty agreements for. 
Okay. Would you know what when they filed these patent applications? You have to go through, someone has to go through, and I started doing it. You have to look up each and every one. Some of the applications um, have gone back as far as what I've found. I've gone, I've some of them, I haven't looked at all of them. Some have gone back as far as 2012 that I have found. Uh, they may go back even farther than that, you know, okay. to what Dr. David Martin said, I think was early 2000. So some of these may go back that far. So, um, but this is just a sample. There's, there's more patents. So I have the link. You can go through the whole document. Mm -hmm. In the document as well, again, another red flag is that um, it states clearly that they were um, submitting the biological license application on this um, uh, targeted by June 1st, 2025. So they were not planning on even submitting the data until June of 2025. That was the original plan to follow a standard five-year prescription therapy timeline, you know, or accelerated vaccine timeline. So the whole approval happening in 2021 is criminal. Mm -hmm. But it's we have to like it was approved. The whole process has gone. Through, they went through the entire process, including issuing the new drug codes after they did the consumer good manufacturing processes for the second batches, the second lots, the indice codes. Uh, it states somewhere in here as well that management of the clinical development program and requisite regulatory support will be performed by TRI, uh, a highly experienced contract resource organization with experience supporting more than 800 vaccine studies, knowledge of clinical trial management, regulatory relative to vaccine development and registration. So this is a global contract research organization. So Brooke Jackson works for Ventavia, so they're very small compared to the size of this organization. So I'm gonna hit on two points. One, this is the actual approval from August 23rd. Note, they did try to do an accelerated timeline moving up to January of 2022 with the Phar Pharmaceutical Drug User Free, Free Act, but it was approved on August 23rd. But then this is TRI. So this is the, con the Global Contract Resor Research Organization. And these are the key people, Sandra Butler, uh, Nora Lee, who's the president and CEO, uh, and uh, Margaret uh, Lin, chief financial officer and treasurer out of China. So these, this organization was in charge of the phase one and two, three trials. Um, absolutely, you know, it looks like for, for, for Pfizer across the regions, but for, for all of the um, SARS-CoV-2 vaccines. So the buck starts with them. They would have the data for the phase one, two, and three trials around the globe. Mm -hmm. Okay. Going on to royalty payments, benchmark and performance. Um, this gives an example on how they would calculate the royalty payments. So if gross sales were 153,000 um, with a royalty payment of 8%, um, I don't know what the, where the credible payments go. That would be a royalty payment of uh, $1,460. So, I mean, we know this number is closer to 153 billion, uh, you know, so this, this number would be um, for global sales of the mRNA vaccines, you know, it's, it's again, probably 153 billion. So this number would be closer to, if you added six zeros, what is that? $1.5 billion payout. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then um, this just explains uh, how the payments are made. Um, the payments are submitted through this portal. 
And uh, they explain that they ask for uh, the type, the amount, your ADA routing number, your short name, your business function, your account number, your beneficiary name, originator, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, they also explain in this document, I don't know if I pulled it, but if you own 50% more ownership uh, in, a, in, a, in a company, you know, so if you have a business in Anguilla or Antigua, let's say, and you own 50% more, you could have your payment made to that business as well, as long as you're a 50% owner or more. It doesn't necessarily have to go to a U.S. bank account or German bank account. It can go to a non-U.S. company as long as you own it. And if you're um, looking to get copies of the routing numbers and the payments and who they were made to, Mr. David Dodd has them. He's the chairman and CEO of Geovax. This is his email, this is his phone number, this is his mobile, and this is his mailing address. So I first presented this a few months ago um, on a few shows, uh, Stu, Stu Peters and Brandon House. And um, I was, you know, people were like, well, I, I guess our intelligence community or whoever, the, our military people have this information. And I, I was gonna guess no, because a week before me breaking this news, uh, Mr. David Dodd had just won an award of CEO of the year in Atlanta, Georgia. So or the, the uh, Georgia state. So I don't think uh, this was well known because he had just won a big award by the, from, and was acknowledged by the state as being CEO of the year for licensing out the bioweapon. So that's basically the data or the information I have on the licensing agreement. Again, I, I, if you're looking for RICO evidence, uh, David Dodd would be a great guy to talk to if he's willing to talk to you. <laughs> I doubt it. I know, I know. Any questions about this information or? This is again, it's a, it's a lot of information. We'll have to digest this. Um, it's, and I really want to find out if IC really means intelligence community, uh, because it could stand for simply NIAID. Um, we'll see, we'll find out. Yeah, but I don't know why they wouldn't say NIAID or why they just wouldn't say. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but, I mean, but it's, it's normal that in contracts, you just find some sort of, you know, abbreviation. Like if you want to, you don't want to repeat this whole, whatever long company name or something like that. So you just agree on like, uh, you know, whatever AB or whatever the one. I, one, I one don't disagree with you. Just, it's just an alarming coincidence that it also stands for intelligence community and all of our DOD and intelligence. No, I, 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 I really, I'm very skeptical because like it okay. could be. You know, like I mean, there there can there's a lot of companies maybe have a, you know, it's like IC Trading, uh, whatever Inc. I mean, we could not assume that if you have like IC Trading, that this would national, you know, immediately be like a front of the intelligence community or something like that. I think it's 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 a bit far fetched. I would, I mean, just judging from the way that legal contracts are usually designed, you know, that you then pick something because you don't want to repeat this long term over again. So yeah. I, I would really, but they, we, they, just they could, the, we just look at the, we just look at the document. more wisely though, because like I said, the intelligence community does invest in the same technology and programs that the NIH and the NIAID do. So it was just a bad choice of initials then. I don't think they, they even thought about that because I mean, we use this, this term IC could also be like ice cream cooler or I don't know, like or ice cream IC. I don't know. I mean, it can be, you know, I mean, there can be not be any limitation to or intercity train or whatever, you know, like a, 
ICE, uh, we have that trend. But, you know, let's just look at that. I think we have to be careful, like jumping to conclusions, like where maybe, maybe the, the you know, maybe there is a connection, but I think just focusing on the word, I, I think, or like these two, two uh, letters, I think doesn't, doesn't give us much of an insight. Yeah, no, I, I understand. So, but I mean, just to, um, but the, the just to, you know, separate from that agreement, we all know the intelligence community works with the Pentagon, uh, works with DARPA, uh, and they have developed advanced lipid nanotechnology for purposes of um, creating aerosol delivery of bioweapons. Uh, Professor uh, James Giordano, uh, who works with the, the, the DOD, the Pentagon and intelligence community out of Georgetown University, is a professor of neuroethics, neuroscience, and neurotechnology. He has presented this information to the cadets at um, West Point, to uh, U.S. Uh, Naval Academy, uh, and, and 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 at Georgetown University as well, um, to ROTC uh, students. So we we know that they 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 have invested in lipid nanotechnology. We know that they use gene editing technology. Uh, we know that they can do aerosol attacks to um, make people uh, morbidly sick, but not mortally sick, uh, to, to basically deploy a way to make uh, people um, scared, you know? And, and uh, Dr. Uh, James Giordano has talked about this specifically and, and, and that the DOD, uh, DARPA, and the Pentagon have this technology. Um, so the question is, does our military own the technology as well? And did they have to license it out or do they just pretend they don't need to license it out to Geovax? I don't know. But that, that, and I have presentations on James Giordano as well, where he's clearly stating that, I mean, this information. Mm. I, mean, I can play it for you too right now if you'd like to hear I it. I think we've, it's, it's, a, it's a huge amount of, you know what Rainer yeah. just said, huge amount of information. I think we really need to look uh, closely at everything okay. because it's like, you know, you have to, there's so much and it's like, you know, otherwise we're just going to be overwhelmed and uh, and um, I'm going to spend like, I mean, I'm sure you've invested uh, a giant amount of time, so it's going to eat up the whole week until we have like, um, you know, understood what's going on like uh, or like fully uh, investigated or like following your tracks then well, well we will definitely take a much closer look because um, especially when it comes to the toddlers uh, because that is at first glance it's shocking but we need to make sure that 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 what we find shocking is is real from the um, slides that you showed us, showed us there's no doubt about it um, yeah. and, but, you know, that could be, that could be <laughs> evidence that will really blow the lid off of what's going on, because this is what, this is, it appeals to everyone's emotions, because what yeah. you do, um, what you do to babies, and then you don't even report on it, except maybe, uh, by forging the numbers, which to me seems very obvious. If, if that is really, if we can confirm that, and I'm pretty sure we can, Karen, yeah. then that's a, that's a real bummer is probably not the right word, but it's, uh, it's an explosion. It's uh, like the destruction of the Georgia Guidestones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it is. It is. So, and I mean, I'll, um, you know, I, the links are all in there. I'll send you the, this document now. I have to go through and, and add notes to it, but I'll get it to you straight away so you have it. 
and then I'll go through and add notes. And it's the goodness. It's only 66 pages. Oh, so oh God. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know, I know. So it's really, um, but I'll, I'll annotate and high, I'll, I'll, I'll play scientific editor and I'll, you you see a, a graph on the next slides. I'll yeah. highlight the pages and where, and I'll circle where all the data came from. So that when you have someone do a fact check, you know, they, it'll be easy for them. They can go to the page, they'll see where everything's highlighted, that kind of thing for the babies. Excellent. I've done for the babies. Excellent. That. Yeah. Um, and I'll just, cause that's easy. It's only 66 pages. That's, that's easy. <laughs> Good. Well, all right, Karen. Um, okay. Thank you for the time and the effort you put into this, obviously. Um, we will definitely follow up on this. And we'll be in okay. touch. Yeah, okay. please, please follow up regarding the intelligence community. I do have more information. Yeah, that is really important too. Yeah. Yeah. The, they, they, there's 200 publications on how this was deployed, mm -hmm. how the pandemic was deployed using aerosolized nanotech and drones. So um, again, people just didn't think, I don't know, they didn't think we'd read the documents. So. Yeah. But there's okay. two more to look at that. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank Have you. Fun. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Have a great weekend. Thank you too. Bye. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay, Viviana. Tja, Reinhard, sind wir wieder am Ende der Sitzung. We're at the end of the session so far. Uh, madness, what's going on? I think this uh, skeleton of. Uh, um, of the legal system. It's naked and it's proud of itself. Um, the residues of the rules of law, what Dr. Kuken told us, uh, that they even do a show of it. It's uh, incredible, incredible. It's sadistic, sadistic, but it is in keeping with what we just heard. Uh, uh, also the story about the babies and the toddlers. It is one and the same breed. Uh, they're the ones that pull the strings. And then you have the others who go along with them and act accordingly. Um, the stuff that Dr. Kuken said, I mean, that was tough stuff to listen to. I, I, I've been in these proceedings. I've, I've been to court. I've, I've seen how they act. Uh, you know how it is to take huge enterprises to court and often uh, the judges are uh, siding with the bad people and you know they 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 act just as bad uh, as the lawyers themselves and I thought that was something that we uh, have only in the German legal system because for many many years now in our legal system, we have been trained to be obedient. Uh, that's basically since Bismarck. So if you're not really on government lines, uh, you might as well forget about uh, justice. At any rate, uh, you can't do that. You can't do that to say, oh, you're a doctor, but whatever you say doesn't convince me because they follow the descriptions. Uh, uh, you know, how can they not heed what the patients tell them? It's absurd. Uh, so I have someone coming in with a necrosis on their lead, uh, leg and I say, that's your imagination. And I don't even get fined for that. 
because this kind of adverse effect is not allowed. You should have uh, believed to the uh, um, uh, the science that this is only a light, a slight uh, effect. Do you remember that information video, a multi-language, which they put up for these migrants? Do you remember that? Where it says it, it doesn't uh, harm fertility by no means. Uh, all adverse effects will go away after two weeks. That was done in 12 languages with a, uh, a doctor telling them in the different languages. Madness. Yeah, you're right. That was back then. Uh, I mean, it was well prepared. I mean, they really put a lot of thinking into it. Uh, you know, and then uh, you, you try to, you know, oppose it through uh, HLV, but nothing to do. Uh, so even if you did find a single judge who still has a, a grain of a rule of law in him, they won't do it because, you know, they don't want to put their career on the line. Well, I share your view that there is many countries where this phenomena is the same because it's such intensive political pressure, but it's very shocking to see that it has gone to that extent here in Germany. Um, it is uh, just slapping the face of the people who seek uh, justice. Anyway, we learned a lot. Do we have any videos? Yeah, we still have those two films. They're pretty uh, funny, actually. You will enjoy them. Uh, one is the video where an American comedian is making fun of uh, the pompous uh, self-pretentiousness of those who um, get vaccinated and boosted. And I said, we don't want to make fun of them. But in this case, I think it's, it's, it's okay to make fun of it. And then we have George Carlin, one of the funniest comedians in the US. Unfortunately, he passed away. And he uh, tells us in this short clip, it's only a minute and 50 seconds. That's the guy who is making fun of the vaccination. And the other one is three minutes 10. And that shows how society, and this is an older video, how society is completely infiltrated and how the behavior of the government depends on uh, what they are being told by the people who really pull the strings. So it's um, diehard funny and it's really shocking if you look at it from today's point of view. Okay, a little thing to finish off with. We have got a new format, the review. Uh, so after the meeting, uh, we sit together to do a brief summary of what we have talked about. Sometimes we may add things that uh, turn up later on, giving you a little more background information or a cross-reference to what we've talked about before. Check that out, whether that is something valuable in terms of information and Beyond that, as always, uh, we depend on uh, financial donations uh, from the audience for our work. And of course, we'd be glad to carry on with it because we do think it is essential, especially for what we may be up to in terms of activities over the next uh, weeks and months. So, um, 
getting even more up-to-date than it is anyway. Apart from that, I hope that you'll all have a wonderful Friday night and a beautiful weekend, and see you again next week. Yeah, same here. I wish you were the very same. Bye-bye. Vaccinators, you were real cocky a couple months ago. You we got vaccinated. <laughs> got my second shot April 19th. <laughs> I can't get sick from the corona. I'm vaccinated. See this bucket of virus? <laughs> I'm vaccinated. I'll even lick a metal. I'm not afraid of anything. <laughs> I don't have to wear a mask. Uh, people vaccinated are getting sick. What? You need a new booster. What? education sucks and it's the same reason that it will never ever ever be fixed it's never going to get any better don't look for it be happy with what you got because the owners of this country don't want that i'm talking about the real owners now the real owners the big wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions forget the politicians the politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice you don't you have no choice. You have owners. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They got you by the balls. They, they spend billions of dollars every year lobbying, lobbying to get what they want. Well, we know what they want. They want more for themselves and less for everybody else. But I'll tell you what they don't want. They don't want a population of citizens capable of critical thinking. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. They're not interested in that. That doesn't help them. That's against their interest. That's right. They don't want people who are smart enough to sit around the kitchen table and figure out how badly they're getting fucked by a system that threw them overboard 30 fucking years ago. They don't want that. You know what they want? They want obedient workers. Obedient workers. People who are just smart enough to run the machines and do the paperwork and just dumb enough to passively accept all these increasingly shittier jobs with the lower pay, the longer hours, the reduced benefits, the end of overtime, and the vanishing pension that disappears the minute you go to collect it. And now they're coming for your social security. Money. They want your fucking retirement money. They want it back. 
so they can give it to their criminal friends on Wall Street. And you know something? They'll get it. They'll get it all from you sooner or later because they own this fucking place. It's a big club and you ain't in it. You and I are not in the big club. By the way, it's the same big club they used to beat you over the head with all day long when they tell you what to believe. All day long, beating you over the head in their media, telling you what to believe, what to think, and what to buy. The table is tilted, folks. The game is rigged, and nobody seems to notice. Nobody seems to care. Good, honest, hard-working people, white collar, blue collar, doesn't matter what color shirt you have on. Good, honest, hard-working people continue. These are people of modest means. Continue to elect these rich cocksuckers who don't give a fuck about them. They don't give a fuck about you they don't give a fuck about you they don't care about you at all at all at all Man. you know and nobody seems to notice nobody seems to care that's what the owners count on the fact that americans will probably remain willfully ignorant of the big red white and blue dick that's being jammed up their assholes every day because the owners of this country know the truth. It's called the American dream, because you have to be asleep to believe it.